Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. What's up, guys? This episode is dedicated to our Chicago Bears, the 2020 preview for that team, and the 53-man roster. And this all-new episode is brought to you by BetOnline.ag. As sports keep coming back, so does your chance to bet on them with our exclusive wagering partner, BetOnline.ag. Major League Baseball and the NBA are in full swing. College football playing a game right now as I speak. So you got those games uh, to bet on, the NHL and the conference finals, so on and so forth. So there's no shortage of ways to get in on the action. Bet Online has all the odds, futures, and props for you to bet on. Visit betonline.ag today to check out all of the odds and up-to-date sports news. Don't forget to sign up and take advantage of the all of all the welcome back sports bonuses bet online your online wagering experts and i think no you will some of you will notice the omission that i made that time and that's my story and i'm sticking to it so here we are and um for those of you who didn't notice when you were downloading the episode or getting it cranked up this is going to be a long one lauren cox and i got together uh earlier this afternoon on on labor day to discuss the uh, 2020 Bears, and we did touch upon 2019, the offseason, the free agency, the draft, the schedule, the roster itself. It took us a while to get through all of it, and uh, I had an amazing time uh, talking to him about it, and to tell you the truth, guys, talking to him is what's getting me ready for this season. I think I'm back in full swing, and I'm back in doing the show, and uh, I'm excited about it. So, um, Without further ado, it's time for the 2020 preview of our beloved Chicago Bears. So let's get to it. Back for the third of these four shows, getting us ready for Bears-Lions week one. And instead of saving the best for last, the best being our beloved uh, Chicago Bears. Uh, we're going to let the Lions be the finale because they're going to serve as a preview for the Lions and a preview for Week One. So we're bringing in the big guns off the uh, off the bench here to get us uh, prepared and, and talk about this team because there's a lot to cover here. We got the the off season and and everything. Not to mention the Bears announced their 53 man roster and their 16 man uh, practice squad. That is a lot of extra bodies. Uh, running around but our good friend from locked on bears lauren cox back to help us out as usual lauren how's it going man hey pretty good and you know he called me the big guns off the bench i feel like nick Foles already so nice nice see there you go we're already there how's that (laughs) so let's talk uh briefly and and we just kind of discussed how we wanted to to lay this out so we we won't touch on 2019 too much because as i jokingly said before we get recording uh we only did about two hours on 2019 right after the season ended so i think we pretty much got that covered about how that all uh went down and and what i loved about that discussion with lauren was that when we got to the end of it 
still had no idea how everything went so wrong in so many different ways and how the hell Pace was going to fix it uh, going into the offseason. It was one of my favorite things about that conversation. You and I talked about it for two hours and still had no no idea how to get it done. Yeah, and yet we're, we're here, what, eight months later, and yeah. still don't have a ton of ideas of just how everything is going to come together. I feel like there's still some pretty decent question marks about how all the pieces are going to fit together and what level of play we're going to get from some of these guys. And that's the joy and the pain of following the Chicago Bears in one statement. That is well said, brother. Thank you so much for saying that. Um, but you're right. And it's because in that was the thing, because the things went so wrong in so many different ways. What we seemed to do poorly next week, we were good at the week after that. And then the week after that, we were back to not doing it at all as, you know, a.k.a. the running game and, and, and things like that. We run seven times against New Orleans on Walter Payton Day in Soldier Field, and then the following week against the Chargers, I was going to say San Diego. I almost did it. Um, uh, against the Chargers, David Montgomery runs for a buck 55 and a touchdown, and, and we look like the, the old power running team of the, of the 80s, and then after that we barely touch the running game uh, again, then it comes in spurts, a drive here, a drive there, and then we go back to the RPO nonsense that got our offense basically nowhere in 2019. And it speaks to so much of that lack of offensive identity that seemed to be the big focus of this offseason, the big reason for the coaching changes, getting some familiar faces for Matt Nagy, some familiar faces for Nick Foles, of all people it turned out to be, and kind of just get everybody more on the same page is sort of that idea, right? I mean, it seemed like they were starting to get there later in the season, you know, that stretch where the playoff discussion even started coming back when they beat the Giants and the Lions and the Cowboys back to back to back, and they were maybe at best a Cinderella story, but it felt like maybe some things were clicking in that way, but it, it never really set in as like a concrete offensive identity and production. Yeah, because once we got done with those three teams, we ran into the Chiefs, and that put everything else to bed. So it was pretty much over with at that point. So, uh, or actually, it was the Packers, then the Chiefs. So that you know, we got brought back down to reality, which was nice, especially after the way that that Mitch basically outplayed Dak Prescott in that Thursday night game. You know, even ran for a thirty-yard touchdown. It looked like old Mitch of of 2017 running for 30 yard gains and things like that and got himself a uh, a touchdown uh and everything and then the following week against green bay it's just like where, where where did those guys go where did they go you know granted green bay's playing well and they're a good football team this year better than they were the last couple of of seasons but were they so good that they absolutely erased everything that we did last week against the cowboys <laughs> Isn't it funny how Green Bay always seems to kind of pull that out and have that power of like whatever had happened in the three or four games beforehand, pretty much throw it out the window and yeah. any friends or anything else, anything you think you're doing well is not going to happen there. And if things you aren't doing well, maybe all of a sudden you'll be able to pull it out out of nowhere. Yeah, it's a joy to, uh, <laughs> to sit back and to sit back and watch when, when Agony in its purest form. Amen. You think your team's headed in the right direction and then they run into an actual good football team. And that team always seems to be green Bay for some reason. So, all right. So again, uh, I'll mention this one last time and then we'll move on, uh, from it. And, you know, as, as poorly as night 2019 went, it really kind of took the wind 
out of my sales. I mean, just go back to me a year ago at this time. I could not be more excited. I mean, today is what, the 7th of September? Well, actually, a year ago, uh, exactly one year ago at this time, you probably have to talk me off the ledge because September 5th was the big week one matchup between the Bears and the uh, Packers last year. So week seven, September 7th of 2019, you have to hide the razor blades after that performance uh, week one. But I could not have been more excited about 20. 20- Professional welder Shayna Ford used VR training developed by ForgeFX to hone her skills as a welder. The more time that you spend practicing it, that's what separates a good welder from a great welder. VR training can help students like Shayna repeatedly practice specific skills. Virtual reality definitely helps because the more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Explore more stories like Shayna's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. I think you were on board with me uh, on that one. We couldn't see what the, couldn't wait to see what this team was going to do week two, or excuse me, year two under Nagy and, uh, and all that. And then the season actually happened. It <laughs> was the unbelievable mess that it was from the inconsistent play on, on the offensive side, from Mitch from the offensive line, from Nagy and his play calling, from the running game, from the receivers dropping balls and you know and everything like that, from the tight ends, all thirty-five of them not getting a hundred yards for the season, uh, for any of them that we put out there uh, on the field, and then the cherry on top is that the defense is still playing well, keeping us in just about every game, but guys started getting hurt and and it just. Somehow, with all of that, Lauren, we finished eight and eight, and I couldn't wait for the year to be over with. Like I just, I couldn't wait for it to be done. It's like I don't want to watch this anymore. I really don't. <laughs> I, I, you know, it's it just it's very rare that we get to that point of the season, and I'm like, yeah, I'm glad that this is going to be over. And of course, it finished off by our number ones, even though we've had some some guys out injured and things like that. Our number ones barely beating the JV squad that the, the Vikings put out there because everybody was taking the week off to get ready for their wild card game uh, the week after. And we needed a like fourth and 19 from Mitch and an Eddie Pinero field goal as time ended to win that game against that sorry squad the Vikings put on the field that day. And, <laughs> you know, like I, I felt the same way you did at the end of last season. Like, just get it over with. Take yeah. me out back behind the barn with a shotgun and just, Get it over with, but at this, like, I struggle with that for in a couple of ways because, like, you know, under John Fox, the Bears never even came close to eight and eight. You know what I mean? Like, it had been, even under Mark Tressman, they just had the one year of eight and eight, and then it had been what four or five years of sorry franchise before yeah. Matt Nagy came in and had such a great twenty eighteen, and all of a sudden we're spoiled to the point where like an eight and eight season is the end of the world. 
which so like part of me is like pulled in that way and the other direction it's like well they just went 12 and 4 in 2018 and we're really kind of going all in on 2019 it was you know everything is built around the young quarterback you've got a defense that is stacked at every single level you finally got the best set of playmakers at least on paper that you've had in Chicago for a long time you've got receiver depth you have you had you thought you had tight end depth. You had good talent at running backs. You had a lot of young offensive linemen. Like twenty nineteen was the year where everything was supposed to be in place. Yeah, maybe that wasn't necessarily automatically a Super Bowl, but it was going to be something, and it turned out to be close to nothing. Yeah, and it really it was for me. It wasn't the record. It wasn't the record. It was the the team on the field. You know, watching them play. I, I wasn't so much you know, soured at the idea of eight and eight, although I don't think anybody was thrilled with it, not after finishing 12 and four uh, the year before. It, it, to me, it was more about the product on the field. There are teams that can look good and finish eight and eight. We were terrible. And imagine how, how the season could have turned out if we had had, had a mediocre offense at times, as opposed to the extremes that we were subjected to uh, from time to time on 2019 where they just looked absolutely in like week one against the Packers. I mean, that's still my number one example of the <laughs> season. We sacked Aaron Rodgers five times. We held them to 40 yards rushing and 10 points and we lost the game. We lost because our offense could not figure it out. I mean, the, the defense that we faced week one was not the defense that Green Bay had all season long. That's just how good they were week one against us. So, you know, the Smith brothers definitely took things up a notch for that defense, but they weren't world beaters all 16 games last year. They, they, at times, they, you know, they also they struggled against the run, which for some reason we could not do uh, against them uh, uh, week one. They, they weren't the world beaters that they appeared to be week one against us. We just had a really lousy game. Yeah, it's that Green Bay Packers magic again, right? I mean, it's just like how do things happen in that matchup that – I mean, yes, the Bears struggled to run the ball all season. Some of those things ended up being precursors to what the rest of the season was going to be. But, right. I mean, the Bears' offense outproduced the Packers' offense in that game. I believe Mitchell Trubisky had more passing yards than Aaron Rodgers in that game. The Bears almost outrushed them even in that game, had more first downs. I mean, it was – Everything was there. <laughs> I mean, everything was lined up, and for whatever reason, the quarterback play was not there. And I think Matt Nagy eventually admitted that Mitch was kind of, I don't want to say roughed up by that game, but a little bit shaken by that. And it took him a little while to kind of get through that and overcome that. And, you know, just from, from a mental side of it, just having such a, a spotlight and a struggle with, like we kind of talked about, all the expectations and all the pieces around him, that it, it, it was rough. I mean, and, and I was just talking to a buddy of mine about this before you and I started talking today was, um, you know, and, and we'll talk a lot more about this a little bit later on, but Mitch winning the job, it's like I kind of thought that was probably going to happen anyway, but he's been going up against air and against the defense that's not allowed to hit him, so he's been under no threat of getting hit. So even on the plays where he may have been sacked in, in, real, in a real game, he was still able to get his throw off. And, you know, Matt's like, oh, his footwork is this, his, his, his accuracy is that, his decision-making, blah, 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 blah. Okay, well, no preseason this year, which Mitch definitely would have been taking part in uh, this year. And like last year, no preseason by choice 
aside from the three handoffs in week one against Carolina uh, last year. But no preseason for Mitch, and then he comes out in live action. Everything's full speed, and the defense can hit you if they want to or if they can get to you, and it's just like it went off the rails uh, week one. Like Mitch didn't even look like the guy that he was in 2018, let alone, you know, it's supposed to be this, you know, supposed to be closing the gap between him and Mahomes and Watson. Yeah, and it's easy to carry over some of those same fears into 2020 of like, well, you know, like you said, still no preseason games. What's he going to be like coming out week one against Detroit? But I guess at least this time around, the Lions and every other team will also have not had those preseason games. So True. in theory, I mean, you'd think Matthew Stafford will probably be a little bit more poised in that regard, just with more NFL experience and a lot more hits he's taken throughout his career. But at least everyone's going to be rusty and it's not just going to be the Bears doing it by choice. Yeah, I mean that was one of the things that um, that I've been talking about with my um, with my first two guests uh, so far. You know, Chris Gates and 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 Evan Weston from SB Nation for the Packers and Vikings, respectively. And and it was a point that actually I think Evan Weston made was that this is very much kind of like a college football team where there's no preseason. Very little media exposure to the team, always kind of behind closed doors with the practices, not really getting a great picture of the team that they're putting together. And then all of a sudden, week one, boom, here's your football team. This is These are our guys, and we're going forward with them. And the start of the season is our first look at them. And then the great point that my friend Chris Gates made was, but unfortunately, we're not going to get to face East, West, Central, West Virginia State um, and as, as the sacrificial lamb week one to get the kinks out before we actually take on the Lions in week two. We got the Lions week one, and granted, the Lions may still be the Lions, but they're professionals like us, and that could go sideways. Plus, it's Corona. It could be the upside-down world where the, where the Lions figure it out and go 14-2 and two this year. So who the hell knows, man? Yeah, I mean, really, I think the, the luckiest team in the NFL is the Indianapolis Colts because they get to play Jacksonville in week one. And that basically is, you know, <laughs> FCS East from NCAA 14. True, true. That's uh, <laughs> that's very true. I mean, it's I, I know that they're probably gearing up. They're going to tank for Trevor Lawrence and, and and things like that. But it's like every time that you see it, it's like this is a team that was 30 minutes away from the Super Bowl a few years ago. And none of those guys are on the team anymore. Like literally none of them, you know. I think Miles Jack may be the only guy left. Everybody else is gone. And Gakwe, I mean, Legarrette Blunt or not Blunt, um, Fournette. That's what I'm thinking of. Fournette, yeah, Calais Campbell. All those guys that they spent all that money on to put that team together, and it worked out great. And they lose that game, and then they pretty much had a fire sale from there. The guys started disappearing. They traded away Jalen Ramsey and and, and all the rest of that stuff. So I don't know. Anyway. the key difference there with, with the Jaguars and where the Bears have been since their playoff run is that the Jaguars made their mega investment in their quarterback and the Bears have not up to this point. Right, right. So, yeah, it's the, the way that the wind was sucked out of my sails and thanks to the blahness that, that COVID has added to our lives uh, this year, not super motivated to get behind the mic and do a lot of shows this year i mean you and i had a had a fun time doing the the what ifs when the whole seventh playoff team discussion became a real thing uh even you know they've kicked the tires on it so many times but they finally pulled the trigger on it 
this year, and we had we had a good time talking about that. But I was really kind of forcing myself to do that, you know, just to try to get stuff out there. And then as soon as the schedule, the draft is done, the schedule release comes out, it's like, yeah, I'm, I'm I, I, uh, you know. So kudos to you, man, for <laughs> for sticking with it week in and week out with uh, Locked On Bears. And I know you said that they they let you guys pump the brakes a little bit, and you only had to do three shows a week instead of five. That's still three more shows a week than I would have been able to crank out. Like, I, you know, and because I, I know you got to come up with your own content. I don't know how you did it, man. So kudos to you for that. Yeah, it was a, a long off season, but this Bears team, as I'm sure we'll get into with with all the changes that they made this offseason and, and the changes that they didn't make, there's there's a lot of, there's a lot that still needs to be figured out and certainly more of it needed to be figured out before training camp. Now we at least have some answers, but uh curious to kind of see like we said at the top how all these pieces are supposed to fit together and lead them to the success that they envision. Well, let's talk about some of those pieces. We'll um well, let's talk about, first of all, the offensive line for the Bears. And Pace kind of painted himself into a corner with the offensive line. Uh, this was a unit that was nowhere near what it was the year before in 2018, from production and helping out with the running game to all of a sudden becoming one of the more penalized units in football, Charles Leno, with the holding penalties every single week. Um, things like that can't protect. And, and the other thing was they were super inconsistent in their play. Like we couldn't block anyone to save our lives week one against green Bay, but the following week against Bradley Chubb and Von Miller, you didn't hear from Bradley Chubb and Von Miller. Those guys were non-factors in that game, even though, though it came down, uh, to the wire, really the only time they got to Mitch was that bogus uh, roughing the passer call that got us our game-winning field goal. I mean, that was really the only time they really got to Mitch. Otherwise, he had all the time that he needed back there uh, to make throws, but he was on that accelerated clock because he just got his clock cleaned against Green Bay the week before. Yeah, and so you would think, given all of the, the struggles they had offensively, that in the offseason season it would have been maybe a higher priority for those guys up front, but clearly a belief seemed to come out that offensive line and the coaching in particular was what needed to change rather than the players themselves. And like, obviously you're locked into Cody white here on a contract extension and you expect him to do better. James Daniels still young. You expect him to kind of do better. You're fairly locked into Charles Leno in the contract that he's in and you need him to do better. And they just last year resigned to Bobby Massey to right. multiple years. So it, in that same regard, I guess there wasn't a ton of easy change they could have made, but certainly replacing Kyle Long didn't seem to be a super high priority given the moves that they made. Correct. I mean, guys like Brandon Scherf were out there. There were other guards in the league that would have cost us some real money uh, to get them onto the team that the Bears could have gone out there to kind of solidify that middle with Daniels, Whitehair, and whoever they put in at right guard instead they go bargain basement and sign uh, Jermaine Afidi a former uh, tackle who actually did perform better at guard for the Seahawks when given the opportunity but he's on a one-year veteran minimum prove-it deal and we signed Jason Spriggs which is funny because he's the guy that I wanted instead of Cody Whitehair uh, in 2016 me too <laughs> um, but you know it, but it's like well the Packers kind of shot themselves in the foot on that one because they traded in front of us one spot ahead of us to take Spriggs we trade back we get draft capital and Cody Whitehair so we won that exchange but 
you know, and we end up getting Spriggs as well, who did manage to make the football team, and I guess he's going to be our swing tackle uh, this year. But, uh, you know, he's also on a one-year prove-it deal, a second-round bust uh, from Green Bay. And like you just detailed, you know, Daniels is on his rookie contract. We just signed Cody Whitehair to an extension. We re-signed Bobby Massey, and we gave uh, Leno uh, that extension a couple of years ago. Right guard was really like the only place that we could make improvements. And as I just said, we went with Jermaine Afidi instead of going out and trying to get somebody to that would confidently fill that space. And I get, you know, Ryan Pace is working with limited resources in terms of free agent dollars. But you, you kind of if, if you stack up the team needs versus where they spent the money, obviously a lot of money at Robert Quinn at outside linebacker to try and upgrade from Leonard Floyd. I mean, we'll get to some of these other moves. You know, some changes at cornerback, mostly from a, a draft perspective. But then, the, seemed like the first priority, the big signing was putting all that money in Jimmy Graham, as opposed to yeah. maybe other tight ends that could have been slightly more affordable. I mean, you just if you start to move the pile of money around a little bit and take a little bit away from what they spent at tight end, maybe, and put a little bit more in right guard, and you know, maybe even a little bit of what they saved to end up paying Nick Foles at quarterback. I mean, there's. There's some maneuvering with the funds here where you could have potentially done more at right guard. And I, I just have this bad feeling that even though Jermaine Effetti is your week one starter, I'm not 100% sure he will be your week 17 starter at right, right guard. Like we'll probably see some Rashad Coward out there uh, again. Maybe somebody, maybe throw Alex Bars in there from time to time and yeah. uh, and whatnot. That's that's the other thing. And then where we decided to, to make our big move was at the offensive line coaching position we bring in Juan Castillo Nagy has a lot of familiarity with him they work together uh in Philadelphia Juan Castillo an amazing uh resume you know cranking out top offensive uh you know or top running games uh you know more times than he hasn't um in, in his time in, in in Philly uh with with Andy Reid and and things like that so his resume is there not like it wasn't with um Harry Heastand but I guess Juan Castillo kind of has the familiarity with Nagy and also has a bit of a stronger resume than he stands. So we go with him, and that's our big offensive line move. So rather than make some moves on the actual chess pieces, uh, we decided to change the board. <laughs> that's a good way of putting it. And, you know, we'll see. Matt Nagy's been raving all offseason about Juan Castillo. He's a great teacher. He's going to teach him in these different ways, and, you know, he's going to connect with these guys. I mean, they're all in i mean they haven't explicitly thrown harry he under the bus but like reading between the lines they're throwing harry he under the bus over <laughs> and over and their, their moves say that in terms of free agency and not changing anybody else they're, the coaching change and everything else they said that they've been saying about juan castillo is he is going to be the difference from last year to this year with this offensive line and the benefit of that for us is that the proof will pretty well be on the field, right? I mean, if, if yeah. this offensive line is better, then we can say, yep, it was it was a coaching problem last season. And if this offensive line is still bad, then we could say, well, they probably don't have the right guys at left and right tackle and right guard. And who knows long-term at, at left guard, James Daniels, still young, still a lot of promise. But, you know, another season of struggles, you, you maybe start to question just how well that second-round pick pans out too. So a, a lot is at stake, I think for this offensive line this year and for so many other players on this Bears roster and really the head coach and the general manager too. I mean, everything is at stake. And it's a lot to gamble on just changing the offensive line coach. You know, I mean, we all know the realities of what may or may not be happening at the end of this season 
if we finish six and ten, seven and nine. I mean, I, I he didn't put a record out there, but I read uh, Peter King's article for the Monday Morning Quarterback, and he thinks the seven who the seven playoff teams on each conference are going to be, and he, <laughs> he's got Minnesota and and Detroit making the playoffs, and the Bears and the Packers are not. But he started off the article saying that. He went back and forth, and his three teams in the north are Detroit, Green Bay, and Minnesota. So that's a glaring omission there. So obviously the Bears are going to finish in last place uh, this year, according to uh, uh, Peter King. But it's a lot to gamble uh, you know, on just changing the offensive line coach, seeing that he's going to be the, the cure-all. That is, a, that is a big chip to put on the table. And I don't know, I feel like this Bears roster is a lot of gambles. So, sure. I mean, I don't want to get too ahead of ourselves, but Jimmy Graham, at this age, at this stage in his career, every report on the training camp was that he was great and looks like a great addition. I, I totally get that. But it's a gamble that he's going to be able to still be an effective tight end threat in this offense. And Ted Ginn, similar conversation with this wide receiver core. Uh, it's pretty much the same guys, just replace um, Taylor Gabriel with Ted Ginn, and you're sort of gambling that all your younger players, Miller, Javon Wims, Riley Ridley, Cordero Patterson, et cetera, will sort of take that next step forward. And you're gambling that Mitch Trubisky will be better than last year or that Nick Foles can get back to the high level of play we've seen in between the low levels of play. And you're gambling that you know adding Robert Quinn at pass rusher will make up for some of the talent you've lost in the secondary, that this rookie second-round pick, you're gambling that he can step in and play at Prince of Mukamara's position consistently enough in his first season with no NFL experience. And you're gambling that Tashawn Gibson can come in as a veteran here and just kind of fill in that haha Quentin Dix, Adrian Amos role with no complete offseason to really learn the full defense and everywhere he's supposed to be. It just it feels like across this roster, it's a lot of gambles. And if all of those gambles pay off, you're looking at a playoff team, a, a potential, you know, contender if if everything can kind of click in that way. But the more of those things that don't click and don't pay off the farther down in the win column you're going to find yourself yes and the new gm and coach will be the ones that can dig <laughs> us out of this hole a year from now so <laughs> that's uh i think that's pretty much a, a set in stone thing and and you know? think about over the course of ryan pace's career what percentage of his gambles i mean we don't have time to go through each one but he's taken a, some decent gambles through sure. his career here and some of them have worked and some of them have not. Uh, you know, I think Allen Robinson was a little bit of a gamble coming off of his ACL injury. That worked out really well. I think Akeem Hicks was a little bit of a gamble. I mean, he's had some of the good ones that really paid off. And then he's had the Mike Glennons and the Mitch Trubisky's and the Kevin Whites and many others that have also not paid off. So yeah, history tells me what, you know, maybe at best 50% of these gambles that we're counting on this year are, are likely to pay off. And if it's the right ones, you know, if the quarterback gamble with Mitch pays off and if the offensive line gamble pays off, maybe you can make up for a tight end gamble not paying off or the secondary. You know, I mean, if if it's the right mix of good bets, then you can you can survive in advance. Yeah. So let's talk real quick about the Jimmy Graham thing. It, it's if this is 2014, I'm over the moon that we got Jimmy Graham. But this is 2020. Uh, things did not go the way that they thought it would in Seattle. He wasn't bad there, but he wasn't. He didn't elevate the offense and give them that element that they were missing to, to project them to another Super Bowl. He wasn't that good for them. Then he goes to Green Bay. And while he was healthy last year and he was good at times, he still wasn't 
that guy that was automatic with Drew Brees in, in New Orleans six, seven uh, years ago. And that was really like the first big signing that we made was Jimmy Graham. So this is, in, in a way, it was kind of like uh, this is our milestone signing because this is the first guy that we had to go out and get. And a lot of people were not happy about it when it happened. It, it still feels like an overpay in terms of the money that they gave him. And I think that's the harder thing to swallow about is that, you know, the guaranteed money is going to pretty well, you know, compensate him perhaps above where the rest of the market seemed to be. But having heard Matt Nagy and these Bears players and coaches talk a lot about Jimmy Graham through training camp, both raving about his on the field play, but I, but I think what a lot of his value comes for them right now is off the field, or at least on the sideline where I think they signed Jimmy Graham with the full intention of drafting Cole Komet or some tight end in this draft. And they've really emphasized how helpful he's been to all the other young tight ends in the tight end room. And that's just one of those things that we can't quantify on the field with any kind of stat. But it really sounds like he's taken Komet under his wing, taught him a lot about the game of you know playing like a professional, preparing like a professional, doing everything the right way. So even if Jimmy Graham is a 500-yard receiver with you know 40 catches and a couple of touchdowns this year, that that feels like a disappointment given the payment and the role that he's going to be in in this Bears offense. But if he can accelerate the development of Cole Komet, even if it doesn't pay off this year, there could be some of those dividends down the line that the Bears felt like. This is the guy we want to mold the future of our tight end position who can also contribute at least something in the short term. And they were willing to pay up to make sure that happened. Yeah, my, my first guest was was Evan Western from Acme Packing Company and SB Nation for the Packers. And he was like, well, I've heard that, uh, you know, Graham has been been doing well for you guys uh, in practice. And I was like, Evan, it's it's not a high bar to cross, man. It's not after <laughs> after what we were subjected to last year and, and injured and useless uh, Trey Burton and equally useless and healthy Adam Shaheen uh, and the other 28 guys that we brought in to play the position last year. It was not a high bar to cross. I mean, even the, the, the fake stat line you just threw out 40 something catches, 500 yards would be five times better than what we dealt with last year. Mathematically, it would Literally. be more than five times better than what we got out of the tight end position uh, last year. So it's like I said, it's not a high bar uh, to cross. But I think that you might be right as far as what Jimmy Graham's ultimate role will be. And it will be to uh, try to get Cole Komet to be our Travis Kelsey, to be the guy that can do it all and get it all done and and be worthy of him being the highest pick on our draft board this year but as far as like hey it's free agency it's excitement it's new additions let's see who the bears go out and get maybe we'll i mean uh, is austin hooper too expensive is you know maybe this guy was out there for us and blah 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 oh no austin hooper signed for 10 million or whatever with the with the falcons or with the 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 browns i wonder who would jimmy jimmy really jimmy graham (laughs) is is it 2015 am i supposed to be excited about this it's like i was not happy uh, about it at all it's like okay tight end position definitely an upgrade over what we had but at eight nine million dollars a season i don't know about that yeah and i think it's the price tag that really is the the main issue here because i i would imagine this season we're gonna see a fairly i don't want to say even split but i don't think we're gonna see like jimmy graham play 
900 snaps and the number two tight end plays 300. I don't think it's going to be this huge split between number one, number two, and even number three tight end that I would expect we're going to see a lot of Demetrius Harris and the three of them are going to rotate, I would say, a decent amount. So you can keep Jimmy Graham fresh with also not overplaying Cole Komet and forcing him out there in too many uncomfortable situations. And I think it says a lot that they still chose to keep five tight ends on this active roster, even after bringing in three new guys this offseason. Yeah, so, I mean, that was also kind of the running joke throughout the offseason was that signing Jimmy Graham and then drafting Cole Komet, we had ten tight ends uh, on the roster after the draft. So, I mean, it was was ridiculous. We have a 90-man roster, and more than 10% of them are tight ends, which is kind of insane. Uh, Still better than the eight kicker carousel, but not much better. (laughs) You're right, actually. That's (laughs) oh boy. So yeah, so that was next off season. It's it's eight quarterbacks, and we can find one that will consistently hold down the job for the full season. That would be nice, wouldn't it? Um, I don't know if I told you, but I had Raymond Harris on the show this spring. Oh really? Yeah, I had him on in uh, just before the I think just before the draft actually. Uh, I um, it's it's a long story. It's, well, not very long, but it's you know it's a story on how I actually made that happen. But of course, he's still working at Ohio State, which is his uh, alma mater. So we had an interesting conversation about Justin Fields, and um, you know, like I'm starting to wonder if if Fields is going to opt out and maybe just go for the draft as opposed to playing in the in the spring. And um, you know, would that be an option for the Bears? Because hopefully, we won't be bad enough to be in line for Trevor Lawrence at number one but uh you know maybe we could get our hands on a justin fields uh kind of guy in the in the teens or something like that maybe who knows the feeling right now i see in a lot of mock drafts is that you know it's lawrence fields and even uh, i think is it trey lance the kid from north dakota state that yes. could, yeah could all trey go lance. in the top 10 and oh, really wow. just pop okay. right off the board because quarterbacks are so valuable so sure. Yeah, I mean, it depends on if they play or not, too, because that, that'll add more discussion to the, the tape and the evaluation. But right now, I I don't think Justin Fields, again, we're talking in September 7th, but if, if the draft were today, I don't know that he'd last outside the top 10, but well, there's a lot of time between now and then. Well, if it's Peter King, we're going to be in the top 10, so maybe Justin go. Fields falls in our lap. So so there you have it. But, um, but anyway, you know, speaking of quarterbacks, Chase Daniel, uh, after – two years of uh, serviceable duty as our backup and, and, and temporary starter signs with the uh, Lions. So when we knock out Stafford uh, in the first half of the game, he can come in and, and uh, in the second half and play like a bat out of hell and help the Lions beat us week one. And then when he's playing week two against whoever the Lions are, he can, <laughs> can, he can stink it up on the field and cost him the game like he did for us. <laughs> The guy's amazing coming off the bench. He's like, hey, let's do it. Let's play some football. But when he's got some time to game plan and he's the starter all week long, it goes off the rails. Uh, I could never under – I mean, but that also kind of speaks as to why the guy's been in the league 12 years, has only started seven games, and, uh, you know, has always been a backup. He, and he's he's got one of those dream NFL careers where you never he really – you make millions of dollars and doing great. Like it's like Josh McCown now, forty-one years old on the Philadelphia Eagles practice squad. It, it pays to be that average backup NFL quarterback. Yeah, and amazing. And because of the practice squad, the new practice squad rules, that's possible for Josh McCown uh, to to be able to make, you know, what is it like a hundred grand just to to sit on the side and do nothing and be See, an like, emergency quarterback for them. 
if you're Jay Cutler, don't you say, hey, throw me on your practice squad. I'll do it. Sure. Because <laughs> Josh McCown is staying outside of Philadelphia. Yeah. Stay so they're not so he doesn't get exposed if they have a COVID nineteen outbreak. So he's getting paid to stay at home and train and be ready if they need to call him up. If you're Jay Cutler or any other recently retired quarterback, hey, I'll I'll sit on your practice squad, collect a paycheck, sure. Hey, Brett Favre, why not? You can still throw it, right? <laughs> You'll be our emergency guy. We'll pay you ten grand a week. Let's do this. So, <laughs> yeah, why not? But um, anyway, let's let's uh, let's get back to it here. We got well, we talked about Leonard Floyd. Um, he was on his fifth-year option. The Bears ended up pulling that and cutting him so they could sign uh, Robert Quinn and bring him in. That was a signing I was very uh, excited about. Um, Robert Quinn, a top pick for the Rams. They traded him to Miami. Somehow he manages to play well in Miami, which is not something everybody can say for themselves in a Dolphins uh, uniform, and uh, goes to Dallas and has another productive season. We bring him in to be that other guy on the other side from Khalil Mack. And this is coming off a year where Khalil Mack really needed another guy, really needed somebody else to try to take the attention, uh, take the attention, I should say, away from him, uh, especially after Akeem Hicks missed most of last year with that, with that elbow injury. We really could have used another guy, and Leonard Floyd just was not it last year. Yeah, and especially, you know, like you said, with Akeem Hicks out, I mean, it, it didn't even have necessarily have to be an edge rusher. They just needed somebody. So Somebody, to, yeah. To be able to have Akeem Hicks back healthy and add Robert Quinn from a pass rushing standpoint, it, there's it's really good reason to be excited about this front. And the contract that they gave Quinn, even though it had a big number on it, the guaranteed money on it was pretty manageable, pretty well front-loaded in that regard. So they're not going to be locked in until he's 35 and, you know, way over the hill. I think it's, it's going to be fun to see those two out there. I'm just... I'm not 100% sure, given all the injuries Robert Quinn was dealing with during training camp here, it sounded like he didn't practice all that much at all, that some of it were sort of veteran days off, some of it was like a personal reason thing, and he was not super active and involved in a lot of the practices. And Not that he needs to practice pass rushing all that much, but in terms of scheme fit and, and playing, getting the calls right and the different adjustments, I'm wondering if we could see a slower start to the season for him and some other guys with that rust coming onto a new team like this. Yeah, so there's always those concerns. Thanks for taking the air out of my balloon on that one there, Lauren. <laughs> He's going to uh, be great by like week six, week eight. Oh, yeah. he'll be locked in. Can't wait. Can't wait. <laughs> uh, other guys that we're going to be missing this year, some I'm you know kind of sad about, like guys like Nick Williams, Kevin Pierre-Lewis, who played really, really well for us in – in you know off the bench duty uh pierre lewis especially i was very impressed with him uh last year nick williams stepped up big time when uh, akeem hicks was gone he's off to detroit pierre lewis is in washington uh no more prince of mukamura that experiment is done aaron lynch signed to the jaguars and then retired almost immediately uh dax raymond i just put him on there he signed with the steelers so he's off and gone did he make the team do you know uh, not off the top of my head. I would be pretty darn surprised, but yeah, so he's gone. Uh, let's see. Cornelius Lucas. Boy, was I sad to see that guy go. Um, <laughs> I'm still pissed. He made the team last year over Alex bars. Like I was beside myself when I saw that last year, could not believe it after the way he performed in the preseason and the way bars performed in the preseason, we kept him over bars and risked losing Alex Bars. That was the other thing. Not that we picked him over Bars, but that we could risk losing 
Alex Bars, putting him on waivers, letting him get claimed by somebody else, and then signing Bars to the practice squad where he is a constant threat to be taken away uh, by someone else, and we picked Lucas over that guy. I was, I still could not wrap my head around that. I spent a good 10 minutes bitching about that last year on this show last year, the 53-man roster show. I, was, I could not believe that was the move the Bears made last year. And I, I felt the same way, because especially with how terrible Cornelius Lucas was in the preseason, and he was bad throughout his previous NFL career. But I, I was quietly impressed with, you know, subtly, surprisingly impressed when he did have to come in and play some games last season. I, As was I. He, I he was. was. Not, I mean, he was not excellent, but given that the expectations were the floor, I thought he did okay. I mean, he... He held down that spot, all things considered, with some fairly decent pass rushers against him. It was not a complete turnstile like I expected. Like, or the turnstile that he was in the preseason. I mean, yeah, this guy was yeah. terrible. Absolutely was horrendous. Yeah. Against third and fourth string guys that didn't make the teams that we were playing against, man. And this, he was a swinging gate against all of them. And then we picked him over Alex Bars, who was kicking ass in the preseason last year. I just like, what? What are we doing? What and, are we doing? It seems like for me, like part of this comes back to the offensive line coach discussion, where it's like, you know, they you got know Rashad, that's true. Yeah, they got Rashad Coward to play pretty darn well in the in the pre in the regular season for a guy that is still learning the spot. And Cornelius Lucas out of nowhere plays some of the best offensive line of his career. Like it seemed like there was some player development with them. It just was non-existent for Charles Leno, James Daniels, Cody Whitehair, and Bobby Massey. You mean the guys that we really needed to have? Yeah, improved. the ones that yeah. matter. So just that. <laughs> you know, everybody else, great. And the, the guys that mattered, nah, not so much. They kind of took the year off uh, last year. So, But the big loss for us, Lauren, and I, and I think you'll agree with me on this one, and it kind of goes in the face of the philosophy that Ryan Pace laid out when he took the job, was Nick Kwiatkowski. You know, here's a guy in Ryan Pace, and I've said this a thousand times, so I'll say it one more just for the hell of it. This is a guy that on his opening press conference said he wanted a roster like the Green Bay Packers. At the time, Green Bay had 47 guys on their roster. 46 of them have only ever been Green Bay Packers. So we want to we want to go into the draft, you know, like we'll sign free agents where we need to, but for the most part, we're trying to bring guys in, develop them and keep them in bare uniforms. This is a guy in Kwiatkowski we drafted in the 4th round was kind of forced into duty, played like a fourth-round pick his rookie year and the year after, spends 2018 playing special teams behind Trevathan and Roquan, and then 2019, for one reason or another, he ends up having to play for both of those guys, for Roquan and uh, Trevathan, and his lights out. He's fantastic. He's one of the best inside blitzers I've seen the Bears have in quite some time. He's awesome against the run. And then that problem that he had in pass coverage – it wasn't, you know, greatly improved, but it was way better than the liability that he was as a rookie. And we let this guy go and bring back Trevathan, who in his four years in Chicago has been injured for three of them. Yeah, and especially given that the money ended up fairly similar between yeah. Trevathan and Kwiatkowski. Trevathan let the Bears space it out more, so it was more salary cap friendly. So I get that. It's not a one-to-one, even though the numbers are very, very similar. It was much easier on the cap the way they rearranged it for Trevathan. But, man, exactly like you said, draft and develop, and with, with Danny Trevathan's injury history, if Trevathan gets hurt this year, you've got Joel E.A. Booneyway and Josh Woods, neither of whom have played any sort of significant NFL playing time 
on defense. And given Trevathan's inability to do so, that one was a real head-scratcher for me. I, I just thought that the one thing, it kind of came back to the similar discussion about Jimmy Graham, where Trevathan's the leader on that defense. He's, yeah. He's a linebacker that calls the plays, although Nick Kwiatkowski certainly had the ability to do that. And I thought Nick Kwiatkowski could step up and be the leader on that defense as well if they put him in that position to do so. But they seem to value Trevathan's experienced leadership to kind of mentor Roquan Smith a little bit and kind of hold everything together on that side of the ball amid you know a disappointing offseason, a disappointing season, some changes elsewhere. I, I get the value of wanting that veteran leadership there, but – from an X's and O's standpoint, from a financial standpoint, it just doesn't seem like the value was there in Trevathan. It feels like that's going to be a move they regret down the line. I and I agree, and I I, I love Daniel Trevathan. I knew that we were in it in for a tough decision there. I really did, especially with the way that uh, Kwiatkowski played uh, in 2019. He definitely played like he was ready for a second contract and that he was going to you know earn the money given to him in that contract. And the only good thing that happened there, Lauren, was that he signed in the AFC. Um, so he's somebody, and we just played that team in the AFC, so we don't have to see Kwiatkowski unless we get to the Super Bowl, okay? Because uh, I just knew. I knew it. I said it on Twitter. I've said it on the show. I just knew that this kid was going to make the, make the Hall of Fame kicking our ass twice a year because who needed inside linebacker help this year? The Green Bay Packers. I knew that would probably be the first place he'd go and that he'd kick the hell out of us for 15 years in a Green Bay Packer uniform. And, and, and kind of like uh, the recently deceased Lou Brock, we trade him. He was a Cub first. We trade him to St. Louis. He becomes the greatest base stealer of all time. I figured something like that would happen with Kwiatkowski. We send him to Green Bay, and all of a sudden he's the plague of the NFC North. Yeah, one of those it, – it's some a connection that the Bears have been able to avoid a few different times here in the last couple of years. Right? I mean you, the Packers were trying to sign Allen Robinson, and there was supposedly a bidding war there. They offered that offer sheet to Kyle Fuller that the Bears ended up matching. So they, they've been competing for free agents like that for a while and uh, fortunate that Kwiatkowski can enjoy Vegas a little bit and ha have fun with John Gruden. Right. <laughs> Let him have fun with that. He thought Nagy had personality. <laughs> you know, let him enjoy that out there. So those are those that's the that's the one that 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 hurt. Like I didn't want to see Kwiatkowski go. It was it was very much the uh Adrian Amos uh Bryce Callahan situation. You don't want to see either of those guys go, but if you got to keep one, this is the one that I want to keep. Like I thought Callahan was the better player, but Amos was the one that we could rely on because Callahan couldn't stay healthy. In this in this case, it was, I love Danny Trevathan. Like you said, his intangibles, he's a leader. The guys rally around him, so on and so forth. But Kwiatkowski kind of goes with the philosophy that Ryan Pace laid out uh, in his introductory uh, press conference. He's exactly the kind of guy that he was talking about there. And, you know, he played best at a time when he needed to. And so why wouldn't we want to go with that guy over the aging, injured, injury-prone uh, veteran? Well, because the veteran, you know, is going to make it easy for us salary cap wise. And he's also somebody that our other awesome inside linebacker looks up to. So I guess that was the, 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 the way the Bears decided to go. But that, I think, definitely is a move that can come back and hurt us big time, especially if Trevathan gets hurt again this year. So um, bring up go a good ahead. point about the Ryan Pace's philosophy, because we're like, what is this? The, was this the sixth, fifth or the sixth offseason for Ryan Pace? 
And in terms of like that draft and develop strategy to get to that Green Bay Packers point, like the Packers, especially under their previous general manager more so, were known for never signing big time free agents. They would just kind of give their own guys extensions and draft new ones and to the point where Packers fans wanted them to sign more free agents. But yeah. it felt like that was sort of the point that the Bears were trying to get to where you don't need to spend big money on any free agents because you've drafted well enough that you've got young guys coming up on your roster that you'll sign some veterans here and there to fill in the cracks, but you're not handing out big contracts to anybody. And yet we're in year six-ish of Ryan Pace's regime and big contract to a tight end, big contract to an outside linebacker because – the draft picks that you used at both of those positions didn't pan out to the way that you wanted to. So he hasn't right. been able to achieve the philosophy that he wanted to because he hasn't been able to draft well enough to do that philosophy. Right. And and but in this situation he did. He did draft well. In fact, he turned a fourth round pick into a top flight uh free agent or at least his coaching staff did anyway and uh we still went in the opposite direction. Yeah. And uh, he's doing it to himself one. that way. Yeah. So, I mean, that's that's where we, you know, it could be, end up being one of those I told you so moments or like you told yourself, dude, and you still didn't listen. So I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what to tell you there. Like when you're unemployed in January because, you know, we lost Danny Trevathan early and EA Booneyway and Josh Woods couldn't fill in the gaps then or you had to make some kind of midseason trade to bring a veteran in or something like that. And, you know, giving away draft assets that we've needed so badly the last couple of years uh, because of the Khalil Mack trade. Uh, and everything, then you've, you know, you got nobody to blame uh, but yourself. So it, it right. says something here that we're talking about the additions and the, the positive changes the Bears were trying to make this offseason. And we haven't found a lot of reasons to be super positive about them, right? I, I was, like, I feel bad about it. Like, Robert Quinn's going to be a very good pass rusher this season. He and Khalil Mack are going to do some damage. And yeah. this tight end group is going to be, like you said, five times better, at, at minimum five times better than what they had at tight end last season. Like, there is going to be improvement here, but it's kind of coming back to the same idea of, like, the Bears are gambling uh, on some of these. And we, we have our doubts as to how well those gambles will pay off. Well, and also, we as Bear fans, bitter taste in our miles. We, we felt like we were extremely let down last year. You know, that's kind of what I started the whole conversation with and the wind taken out of my sails, couldn't wait for the year to be over with versus how I felt about the, the season uh, last year going into it. I could not have been more excited, could not have been more. I mean, spent, I spent all of 2018 talking about how excited I am about 2019. You know what I mean? That's how big a year it was supposed to be. Uh, for us and it was anything but and, and one of those years where like you said take him out behind the barn and put one behind his ear get it over with uh kind of thing it, it just uh we're all in this kind of you know glass half empty mode uh with the bears uh right now and there's a lot of cynicism uh even with the positive moves like i'm super excited about robert quinn uh very excited to see what Tayshawn gibson can do in the backfield uh, with uh, with uh, Eddie Jackson, uh, very excited to see what maybe Dion Bush can do. They, they seem to be very high on him after uh, training camp uh, and and whatnot. But uh, you know, Demetrius Harris, I don't know anything about him, so I can't get excited uh, there. Barkevius Mingo, I think we're his tenth team in his short uh, NFL career, a bust of a first round pick for the Browns back in the day, but has bounced around from one place to another. Uh, in the league, Jermaine Afidi, another bust. Jason Spriggs, another draft bust on a one-year uh, prove-it deal. Artie Burns, I thought that was going to be interesting for us until he blew out his ACL the other day, 
And uh, Jordan Lucas, I was excited about him, but he opted out. So, you know, there's not a lot to get excited about in these additions overall, Lauren. Yeah, and we we haven't even gotten to Eddie Goldman opting out either. I mean, there's... Yeah, there's uh, uh, there's 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 more. But wait, there's more. Yeah. <laughs> Call right now and we'll give you we'll take away your Eddie Goldman for no extra charge. Yeah. The only positive there is that we got an extra year out of Eddie Goldman in that deal. Yes. So uh, we tack it on to the end of the contract so we get to hang on to him for uh, an extra year. It's like with the covid thing, you know, you have your thoughts, your feelings, maybe even political, whatever. Uh, we're not going to get into that here, but it's just. You have your thoughts about it. I'm disappointed that that he opted out, that he's not going to be playing for us uh, this year, that he got a fat $300,000 you know, stipend, which is like welfare money compared to what he would have made uh, this year, <laughs> but still Just way the hell more than I'm going to be putting on my tax return next year. That's for sure. And, uh, you know, and everything. But at the same time, it's, it's a real concern, and I can't exactly blame him. You know, especially if because um, I, I heard the guy that in Minnesota, same position, opted out, and he was like their one big main free agents uh, signing. He opted out as well, but he's asthmatic, so hell yeah, I'm gonna have concerns. Asthmatic, it's it's a respiratory disease, that, you know, or it can be, uh, and everything. So, you know, it, it was disappointed Eddie Goldman's not gonna play, but at the same time, I can't really fault him. I mean, I want to be pissed at him, but. You got to do what you got to do, you know, Yeah, especially, you know, in the trenches like that, where you're getting your face right up in another man's face. And a lot of spit is exchanged inadvertently between those groups. I, I don't, I don't blame him at all. Yeah. So, and, uh, so there you go. That, uh, long winded discussion was our free agent acquisitions. And I know you all feel better about the team after that talk. I know I do. Um, but we move on to the draft. And the draft, how did you feel about the draft this year, Lauren? You know, I was not a huge Cole Komet fan coming out of Notre Dame. No, 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 not the actual draft picks. Oh. The the event itself and what they ended up doing with it. What what did you think of it? Because I had some pros and cons with it. Yeah, you know, it feels like that was three years ago now. Right. (laughs) So much has happened since then. All things considered, I thought it worked out better than I would have expected. I mean, I thought I was surprised they were able to even get it as well coordinated as they did because I think I had pretty darn low expectations. But, yeah, I, mean, I, I, I didn't want to, you know, especially with everything being canceled at that time, it was really nice to just have that NFL draft on. So I, sure. I was really trying not to complain or be upset about it at all. I was just happy to have some sort of real football event. Yeah, it, it, was, uh, it was interesting with, uh, I mean, there is a, how, how do you make a guy like Goodell? who is the least, like, public-friendly guy out there. I mean, could he be any less? He's not a salesman or anything at all. I mean, I'm, I'm guessing he's really great at his job. The league's made a lot of progress uh, under him uh, and everything. But he's about as exciting as watching paint dry. And <laughs> here he is, the basically the face of the draft, sitting in his basement in his dad clothes, uh, calling out draft picks. Uh, and everything but you know it's sometimes you got to check his pulse to see he's still alive <laughs> no i'll give you that for sure you know maybe they should have given him like uh some sort of you know whiskey on the rocks and see how it goes by the time they get to the fifth or sixth round see if they can't loosen him up a bit yeah <laughs> but uh anyway yeah like like you said when day one no activity from the bears because we're finally finishing off the 
uh, Khalil Mack trade. So we're more of a sit and sit and observe uh, team uh, that night. We get to night number two. Pick number forty-two comes around. There's a lot of interesting prospects on the board. Uh, I was thinking more safety uh, with the people that were there. There were some first-round guys still on the board, like a Grant Delpit and, and things like that. And we go tight end with Cole Komet. And my my knee-jerk reaction was not again. And what I meant by that was here is Pace like doubling down on his off-season moves. Like we, you know, there was an off season where we drafted everything that we'd signed over the over the off season. It's like we signed Jimmy Graham, and our top pick is Cole Komet. Why are we doing this again? I I felt some of that for sure. I mean, I wasn't confident enough in Jimmy Graham to feel like it was too much of a double dip. But True. yeah, like you said, other positional needs, other talent on the board, especially with that first second round pick, like. You got to get that guy now, you know, because you know you got you got another one, but you don't know who's still going to be there. So you, when you use this pick, you're saying this is the best player we thought we could get in this draft at this point. That this is the guy we're prioritizing as the number one prospect available to us. When you get to the second pick, it's like okay, who's left? But this is your first opportunity, and they are putting their stamp on Cole Komet being that long term answer at tight end, and. Maybe he can be. I mean, absolutely, the, the potential is there. I think the initial comparisons to, like, Rob Gronkowski were a little bit uh, premature. But, <laughs> you know, I, I, you don't, you don't want to draft just for need. You want to draft best player available. But I didn't feel like Cole Komet was purely the best player available at that spot either. So it felt like they were somewhat drafting for need at tight end. And if we we're going to draft for need, then I would have taken a cornerback like Jalen Johnson there. I would have taken a safety like Grant Delpit, like you said. A lot of different guys on the board there, but certainly helped make up for it with the Jalen Johnson pick. Well, I mean, and then, there, you know, we, we're we all still like, oh, offensive line. We, you know, got some get some offensive line help. Uh, you know, we signed our two. I mean, did, have we even signed them at that point? Were Fede and Spriggs on the team? I believe if Fede was, but I don't think Spriggs. By the draft, I think they both were, but they were both okay. later on. I think Tashawn Gibson was the only main signing they made after the draft. Okay. Well, you know, but it's still, we're, we're going into this, and I don't think anyone's looking at Afidi or Spriggs as the answer to what we need at right guard, and here we are. You know, there's still some top-flight guys available in the second round, and I was thinking safety, offensive line for round two, and we went tight end with Cole Komet, which I feel better about now, but like knee jerk reaction, we we got a tight end. Why? Why? You know, why, we can't do this later on, or you know, it's in one of the worst tight end drafts in a long time, or at least that's what they kept calling it. Our top pick is a tight end. Of course it is. And <laughs> the best you know, yeah, yeah. And then it's like, okay, we get Jalen Johnson, a guy that would have gone in the first round had he not injured his shoulder uh, last year. But then again, it's like, what's this? Kind of goes against the pace philosophy again. He doesn't pick busted up players Cameron Meredith and Bryce Callahan he let those guys go and he turned out to be right there but now we're taking a gamble with our only other second round pick in our only other day night day two pick was 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 Cole Komet and and Jalen Johnson it's like what okay it's like everyone's excited about Jalen Johnson it's like but when he's healthy he wasn't healthy he's not even healthy now and we're taking him <laughs> anyway what the hell and he wasn't even healthy coming to training camp, as it turned out. I mean, he wasn't ready to go for a while there. It was a slow kind of build up to him taking over that starting job. But, you know, again, you'd like to think 
when even when you're drafting in the second round, you're hopefully not drafting those guys for year one. You know, like if you can get something out of them as a rookie, that's great. But in an ideal team building situation, the longer you can wait with your draft picks and the less pressure you could put on them, the better, especially once you get outside of the first round. So, you know, what, what Johnson was up in the 50s in terms of the number in the draft pick, right? I mean, hopefully the idea is generally those picks don't have to be week one starters as a rookie, but that's certainly what it's looking like right now for, for Johnson. And he's among the guys coming out of the draft that's most prepared in that spot. So, I I mean, I get it, but it, it all feels, I guess, somewhat avoidable. I mean, like you said, with doubling down at some of those positions, it felt avoidable. Yeah. So, I mean, it's so knee-jerk reaction. I'm not happy about either pick. It's more about like, well, you know, I like Cole Komet, but I didn't want him to be our first pick. Like I'd have been happy. I think I would have been happier with Komet at 50 than 42, uh, to be completely honest with you. Like maybe even we even flipped the two, take Johnson at 42 and Komet at 50. Maybe I feel a bit differently. Yeah. Uh, about that. But, um, you know, and then, of course, because of the Khalil Mack trade, our 2020 third round pick goes to Oakland because of Nick Foles. The fourth round compensatory pick that we had went to Jacksonville. So our next pick is 105 picks later. We took Jansen Johnson at 50, 155. And the only thing that I come away with any kind of comfort when it comes to the fifth round is that we're apparently in Ryan Pace's wheelhouse uh, in the fifth round. Uh, I mean, Eddie Jackson and um, Tariq Cohen are both fourth-round picks, but uh, Bilal Nichols, fifth-round pick. And, you know, we've had, some, we've had some success with those guys, turning those, what, you know, supposed to be like role players into starters there. And we had three picks in the fifth round. Travis Gibson, an edge rusher, outside linebacker out of Tulsa, Kendall Vildor, a corner out of Georgia Southern, and Darnell Mooney, a wide receiver out of Tulane. I've heard really good things about Mooney and Vildor. Have you heard anything about Gibson? I haven't heard much. No, I mean, it, it, they, I wasn't sure, you know, given how highly they spoke of him in after they drafted him. I mean, they really felt like they landed a top 100 player type guy out of him. But I think for him, it's going to be a little bit of a transition because at Tulsa, they played him more on the actual defensive line with his hand in the dirt and a slightly different scheme. But the Bears envision him and he looks like more of a natural fit at that edge rusher outside linebacker position in this Bears defense. So I think there's going to be a little bit of a uh, you know, a ramping up a learning curve there for him. Although I will note that on the the Bears officially announced and released their Week One depth chart as we were recording this podcast, okay. and they do have Travis Gibson actually just ahead of James Waters. That Waters is number five on the third string, and it's Mingo and Gibson that are listed as the top two backup outside linebackers. So evidently, there's some room for him there in the rotation. But I will note that Kindle Vildor is behind Duke Shelley with the third string there and Darnell Mooney is ahead of Riley Ridley also, which is an interesting development to Ridley, the third string wide receiver, everybody else second or first. Wow. That's what's going on. Says with Riley Ridley, man, that was supposed to be the steal of our draft last year was, was Landon Ridley in the fourth round. And he, I don't know. I mean, is this another Javon Wims where it's a guy that, that, you know, was drafted lower than he should have been. And he's probably going to be really something in the league. And then, you know, never really pans out. I mean, and what's going on there? Yeah, that's it's 
so much, so many times things happen behind the scenes with these, like with Anthony Miller, where the wide receivers coach Mike Furry said last year we couldn't trust him because he wasn't in his playbook enough and wasn't relying enough on you know preparation and and understanding the mental side of the game and just instead kept falling back on his natural speed and talent at the position. I, I don't want to make that same assumption about any player without a reason to do so, but you know you see that with Kevin Tolliver being released at cornerback, and they said sort of it was up to him to get, get farther in the mental side of the game, and he didn't. And you wonder if. Riley Ridley, I mean, he's still on the roster. They, they're not certainly not giving up on him or anything, but right. not not an auspicious start for him to his NFL career. Right, that's too bad. Uh, and then in the seventh round, um, in, in a draft we really could have used an offensive lineman, we finally draft him with our last two picks at 226 and 227. Arlington Hambright out of Colorado, Lechavius Simmons out of Tennessee State, Simmons didn't make the initial roster. I believe he was signed to our practice squad, though. Yes, and I was I was surprised Hambright did did make the roster. You know, given both of those guys were essentially project developmental picks, I don't think there was a lot of expectation that either one was necessarily going to stick around right away. That might take a year or two for them to kind of get up to NFL caliber. So I th- I think it bodes well for Hambright that he made it over some guys who had been around this organization a little bit longer. A couple of guys with some NFL experience got cut that he, you know, that he surpassed. So, you know, good for him, but uh, it finishes yet another draft with Ryan Pace not taking a quarterback after yes. initially oh my like, god. Like every year. And with Jacob Fromm completely just or Jake Fromm falling, Jacob Eason falling 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 down the board and just didn't pull the trigger on it i mean jake from i for some reason i just kind of had it in my head that guy was going to be a bear i just really had a feeling and we didn't take you know everyone kind of thought maybe that one of those second round picks would be a quarterback uh you know from was there for literally every pick until we picked in the seventh round because buffalo took him in the sixth so any one of those three fifth round picks could have been jake from and you know I would have been happy with that, especially to get him for next to nothing in the fifth round or or something like that, as opposed to, uh, you know, using a second round pick on him, which I was afraid the Bears might do something like that. But apparently Jake Fromm wasn't on our board at all. And, you know, he did make the Buffalo Bills 53 man roster uh, as their number three quarterback behind Matt Barkley. But still, it, it says something about him. And I was trying to find there's another late round quarterback. I believe was it Jacksonville. I was trying to look this up while while you were finishing up. Yeah, Jake Lutton from Oregon State. I don't know if you remember him in this draft. He was their sixth round pick, one eighty nine. He stuck on as the Jaguars' number two quarterback behind Gardner Minshew. They released Mike Glennon. I believe Glennon's going to be on their practice squad. Or he is did our sign to the practice, practice squad. squad. I did see that. Yeah. Yeah. So he, this sixth round pick, Jake Lutton, who you might not have heard of coming out of this draft, he was a fringe draftable prospect taken in the sixth round beats out Mike Glennon to be the Jaguars' number two quarterback, and the Bears use those two seventh-round picks on offensive line. You, you never know. The lottery ticket of a late-round quarterback rarely pays off, but if it does pay off, you're getting a hell of a lot more than a project offensive lineman. Well, hell, Gardner Minshew was a sixth-round pick last year, and yeah. he's their starter now. Yeah, two sixth-round picks, I believe, are their quarterbacks. Nice. Wow. <laughs> yeah. And as we stated at the beginning of the conversation, what the hell's going on in Jacksonville? You know, seriously, <laughs> this is how they're doing it. All right, fine. But, uh, you know, so there's our draft board, two second rounders, three fifth rounders and two seventh rounders. Those are that's our draft board. Thanks to the various trades and such that uh, that pace has made over the years. And, um, you know, it's like I, I'm excited about now 
I'm excited about Komet. Um, still skeptical about Jalen Johnson just because of the whole injury thing, but looks like we're shoving him right into the uh, line of fire uh, here, especially with the cut uh, of Kevin Tolliver, the release of Prince of Mukamura, the injury to Artie Burns. It's kind of like we're, we're left with no choice but to play the kid uh, right away. And uh, Travis Gibson, we'll see what happens uh, with him. And then Mooney, I've just been hearing so much about him that basically he's, you know, Ted Ginn Jr. Jr. Uh, out there, that he's the fast guy and then he's, you know, playing lights out in, in training camp and, uh, and whatnot. And then who can get excited about seventh-round offensive alignment? But, you know, <laughs> I mean, there. I mean, maybe that, uh, you know, with Hambright making the team, maybe Pace thinks he's got another Charles Leno on his hands. He can turn a seventh-round pick into our starting left tackle again uh, here in the, in the next couple of years. But uh, we'll have to wait and see. Uh, on that one, so at least he has a first round name at least. Arlington Hambright. He oh, does. Yeah. That is a pretty I... awesome name. That is uh, definitely. And then one of the uh, Key and Peel All Stars and Lechavius Simmons uh, drafted right behind him. So that was <laughs> that was interesting. So <laughs> hey guys, time to take a quick break here uh, in this long conversation between myself and Lauren Cox, getting you ready for the 2020 Bears, and um, just to remind you of our sponsors. And our friends at BetOnline.ag. As sports keep coming back, so does your chance to bet on them with our exclusive wagering partner, BetOnline.ag. MLB, MMA, the NBA, NHL, and next Sunday, the NFL will be back in full swing. So there are no shortage of ways to get in on the action. And BetOnline has all the odds, futures, and props for you to bet on. I'd like to see what some of the prop bets are for the Bears in regards to Trubisky and Foles and all the rest of that stuff. So visit betonline.ag today to check out all the odds and up-to-date sports news. And don't forget to sign up and take advantage of all the welcome back to sports bonuses. Bet online, your wagering, your online wagering experts. The show is also brought to you by Manscaped. 2020 has been the year of things happening that are completely out of your control, but there is one thing you can control, and that's shaving your bush eloquent our sponsors at manscaped are here to remind you to do so the manscaped lawnmower 3.0 is a premium electric trimmer that's designed to give you a confidence boost through body image their ceramic blade and skin safe technology are designed to reduce nicks or tugs on your fellas down low the lawnmower 3.0 is also waterproof and comes with an led light so you can manscape in the shower in the dark or in a dark shower whatever floats your boat they also just released their Shears 2.0 nail kit, which is the perfect add-on to their Lawnmower 3.0 trimmer. The Shears 2.0 is a luxury four-piece nail kit featuring tempered stainless steel tools, and it includes tipped tweezers, rounded point scissors, fingernail clippers, and a medium grit nail file. The Shears 2.0 nail kit allows you to pluck your eyeball. Uh, I was gonna say pluck your eyebrow eyeballs eyebrows, and trim your nails in style. On their website, you'll also find the Crop Preserver, an anti-chafing ball deodorant and moisturizer. This will help you tame that summer swamp ass with natural hydrators and antioxidants. You'll also find the Crop Reviver, a testy toner that's like having cologne that is designed for your balls. <laughs> we won't judge you if we catch you sniffing yourself. I, I know I would. This, in public? Really, dude? I mean, when you're alone on the t- in, the, in the house, on the couch, and give it a scratch and a sniff and nobody's around hey it's that's just you that's that's guys that's what we do but 
if we're in public and I see you scratch your balls and smell your fingers, there's something wrong with you, really. I will judge you, so, so don't let me catch you doing that. Go to manscaped.com and check out some of these life-changing products. In fact, listeners of this show, the Bears Talk Underground, will get 20% off and free shipping with the code armchair at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com and use the code armchair. It's time to grab 2020 by the horns by shaving that front trunk. And just like that, we're done. So let's get back to the show. <laughs> so what do you want to do first? You want to talk the schedule first? Or you want to talk the roster first? Well, maybe the roster is a natural transition from these draft picks kind of going in and, and filling in some of the remaining holes that existed heading into the draft. Although I guess Tashawn Gibson came after and, and filled some of the, another one of those big spots too. But that's that sort of flows into where things come into training camp and some of these depth chart position battles kind of shake out a little bit. And I don't know that we still have 100% of our questions answered. I mean, especially with some of the injuries and other things that we've seen, but we've we've at least got a pretty good picture of, of what this roster is supposed to look like for week one. Right. So, all right. So let's talk about, let's talk about the offense and um, <laughs> then don't be so enthusiastic about it. Yeah. Hold me back. <sighs> Goddamn offense. Um, so the decision was made and let's talk about this. Trubisky's our starter. I kind of figured with the abbreviated off season, there's not a lot that Nick Foles could do in a virtual zoom work out uh to win the job which is all that he had at his disposable his, his disposal before training camp uh and there was also talk and i think i even heard you talk about on your show that nick Foles might opt out and imagine the spot we'd be in if that had happened yeah it was it was a it was a rumor that was reported loosely by somebody and then Foles kind of said I mean, every player thinks about opting out, but it wasn't something he was seriously ready to do. I mean, he's a guy that had thought about quitting football earlier in his career. I, right. I think he said it was after his really bad year with the Rams in St. Mm-hmm. Louis, he thought about just retiring and, and hanging it up. So I think if after that moment, I don't think anything's going to keep him from wanting to play and be there this season. So, like I said, I wasn't overly surprised or actually surprised at all that at Mitch ended up winning the job when basically it was all in his favor from the beginning from from you know year three in the system from covid you know limiting uh nick Foles's opportunities to win the job uh and everything like that i i felt that going into this thing it was always it was mitch's job to lose mitch was going to have to lose the job more than Foles was going to win it or more or than Foles had to win it but i guess you know mitch did enough and according to Nagy, he's a better quarterback this year than he was last year the things that he had trouble with he's improved upon um you know we want him to be our starter he's going to be week one against the lions and i think it's very um telling that uh that mitch trubisky was named our week one starter so much as the starting quarterback of the chicago bears (laughs) yeah did you hear matt Nagy's? like exact comments about naming Mitch Trubisky the week one started the the lack of I guess I don't want to say enthusiasm because there was there was enthusiasm there was energy but like the wording it was like he said you know Mitch has the potential to be a great story this season coming back from everything that's happened to him is it going to happen we'll see 
but we're gonna, you know, like that's that's the level of confidence we're getting from like, the East. Oh boy, we'll see. You know, or like you know, he said Mitch needs to take what he did at practice and translate that into games. And is that gonna happen? I don't know. But you know, Mitch is you know we're, we got we'll see and I don't know as far as the level of confidence. <laughs> that Matt Nagy has publicly stated uh, in Mitch Trubisky as his starting quarterback. And Nagy also went as far as to kind of admit that, you know, early on they didn't think that the loss of the OTAs and minicamp practices would ultimately hold Nick Foles back all that much, given his familiarity with this offense. But Nagy also admitted that, yeah, Trubisky had a much better connection with in terms of timing with his receivers and command of the offense in the huddle, and that Foles was maybe starting from farther behind than they initially would have thought given his previous experience. So, like, to some extent, the two quarterbacks had an equal number of opportunities and reps with the first-team offense, but they didn't have the same starting point. And so even right. if they played equally well, Foles is still going to finish behind Trubisky there. And I don't know how great of a shot. I mean, obviously, if Foles had played better, he still would have been the starting quarterback. But I think the perception that they, they had both started evenly and they both had an even opportunity and Trubisky just was purely better, I think... Foles was playing with a little bit more of uh, something holding him back than we may have thought. So what are your feelings on Mitch being the starter? It's like, like I said, I, I, I've talked about it already, saying that, you know, because of the abbreviated, you know, OTAs and training camp and, and such like that, it was Mitch's job to lose. It, and, you know, and he's been going against air. He's been going against a defense that can't touch him, uh, you know, and things like that. So even on the plays where he might have been sacked, he was able to get his throw off. Uh, and things like that, getting him into live action. Until I see that, then I can't fully endorse. I want. I'm. A, I mean, he's my quarterback, man. I got to root for him. I want the team to be successful. So Mitch is our guy. Let's go QB one. But as far as like, am I excited about this? Not exactly. Yeah, I. I think Mitch has long been a better practice quarterback than game quarterback. Where when he can be in that sort of. I don't want to say relaxed practice setting, but light. it's not the same when there isn't a real defense across from you and the bullets aren't flying. You're not in the stadium. There's no fans. There's no lights. There won't be fans this season. But regardless, when when everything is slowed down a little bit at practice and it's a very controlled environment, he can do a lot of things really well because he's got the arm. He's got the athletic tools. And when it's all sort of in front of him there in terms of the play call and the situation and the receivers and the play, he doesn't have to think through as much as quickly. And he can sort of just play football at practice but then it's when he gets into those games and into some of those pressure situations particularly in the red zone or when he's backed up against his own goal line and he has to try and be a hero and go the extra mile and do this extra thing quite often we see him make mistakes and so I I question how well it is going to translate into games much like you and we just we just don't typically see a quarterback who goes from year three into year four and is all of a sudden a drastically different and improved quarterback than we've seen through the first three seasons. Yeah. And there's, there's reason to think he will be better. I mean, quarterbacks improve, but he's not going to be this brand new fixed solved quarterback. There's still going to be mistakes. It's really a question of how many mistakes and what types of mistakes will Matt Nagy be willing to put up with and how long. And it, it feels to me like, you know, you get to this middle of the season stretch that and we'll get into the schedule in a little bit here, but weeks seven through 10 are Rams, Saints, Titans, Vikings, and then a week 11 bye week. And I would be surprised at this point if they get through that week 11 bye week and Mitch is still their starting quarterback after that stretch and then a bye week being a pretty good opportunity to make a change if you want to. That's kind of where I'm feeling this season is right in the middle there is when Nick Foles takes over. Right. And um, 
Uh, a friend of mine, Eric Lambert from Sports Mockery, was uh, was asked the question about you know Nick Foles. You know what? What do you think Foles will do? It's like, well, he'll either be on the he'll either start because Mitch gets hurt, or he'll start because Mitch can't play. You know, or is not playing well. But he fully believes that Nick Foles, as you do, will be our starting quarterback at some point uh, in, in in 2020 for one reason or another. The good reason for Nick Foles to be the starter would be if Mitch goes down and he gets hurt, because then it wasn't Mitch's fault that he's not playing. But we expect to see Nick Foles at some point. I don't know if that says something about our offensive line that we think that, you know, that Mitch is going to get hurt at some point. But, um, you know, time will tell uh, there. So, you know, and with the quarterback situation, let's talk about this real quick, because I don't think that we've had a chance to talk since um, the the whole deal with the quarterbacks. With Talking about, you know, Bear fans out there and, and Bears Twitter can really be interesting uh sometimes and i think i'm being very generous when i say that um just the opinions that fly around uh the whole thing about cam newton going to new england for nothing uh the whole thing about uh you know uh, Jameis winston going to new orleans for nothing uh andy dalton going to dallas uh for nothing everyone keeps talking about those guys like we could have gotten them for what they went what they settled for with their teams at the same time that we gave up a fourth round pick for Nick Foles. Yeah, and it's obviously it's never going to be that simple, right? I mean, Jameis Winston signs with the Saints for 1 million dollars because they're the New Orleans Saints, not be, because Drew Brees is about to retire and he could thrive in that offense if he gets the opportunity and he probably feels like he could beat out Taysom Hill in a quarterback competition. And you know, Cam Newton goes to New England for a low price because it's the freaking New England Patriots and Bill Belichick, and most quarterbacks would go to New England for for a, a low price. So most I players I, would go to New England yeah, for next to nothing. Anybody, I I would sign for the Patriots for free, absolutely. But I also I I, don't know, I also see a little bit of the other side in the sense that you know, yes, they did renegotiate Nick Foles' contract, but it is still seventeen million dollars guaranteed. He's only going to cost I think a, about seven million this year on the Bears' salary cap. So you wouldn't have necessarily been able to get, you know, Winston, Newton, Dalton. I mean, pick your poison. It's not about which specific quarterback, but generally the idea that better quarterbacks were available. You might not have been able to get them at the exact same price as Nick Foles, but kind of given how things played out, you know, I think right now the Bears are sitting at close to $20 million in salary cap room in some part because of Eddie Goldman opting out and some of the other things that happened after the fact with the quarterback spot. So maybe cash was a little bit more tight at the exact time that they traded for Nick Foles. But I can't help but feel like maybe there was enough money available that you could have. Maybe not $20 million like it was initially rumored for like Teddy Bridgewater and Philip yeah. Rivers. But, you know, could you have gotten Cam Newton for 12 at the time? Or, you know, like that's what Jadavion Clowney just got on a one-year deal from the Titans. You know, if that – I think they could have maybe pulled that off if, if Newton would have been willing to take something like that. And I think – a quarterback like that or Jameis Winston or whichever quarterback you would have wanted would have been worth more money for a higher quality of quarterback because well, Fultz guy that couldn't beat Trubisky in the competition. Well, that's the other thing about about Newton, about um, Dalton. They wouldn't have been free at the time that we got Nick Foles. They were owned by the Bengals and the Panthers respectively. So we would have had to make a trade in order to get Cam Newton. We would have had to make a trade in order to get 
Andy Dalton. It was only later that the Bengals and the Panthers just let them go that they became free agents and signed for less than nothing uh, with their new teams uh, and everything. So that was the other thing that really kind of, but we, we could have had Cam Newton. But if we sat and did nothing for the majority of the offseason and played the waiting game to get Cam Newton, it's I, I can't go with that. I can't go. I can't endorse that idea, even though Cam Newton would have been an upgrade. I agree with that. But or you know, and I can only agree with that based on what Cam Newton has been, not what he is now. Uh, motivated though he may be, he's not been healthy and he's not been very good the last couple of years. That's just the truth. And you know, he would have been an upgrade over what Mitch did last year. That's for sure. But I think the Bears went with the more. You know, with the safer, and I hate to use the word safe, but with the safer, uh, you know, option in in Nick Foles at, at a price that they could live with, knowing that they could restructure his contract and we wouldn't be bringing him in for twenty two million a year like he signed with Jacksonville. And I I will say that I, I believe Cam Newton was released. Wikipedia tells me March twenty fourth, and Nick Foles was traded for on March thirty first. So I think ah, come on, but, Lauren, you're but, killing my argument, man. Come I on. know, but Andy Dalton was was not released until the end of April. But I don't know, like if if you had to give a, up a fourth round pick and a similar sort of contract renegotiation, I mean, it would have been more money. But again, the quality of quarterback, it just it just feels like with Foles, you took a guy. For the sole reason, well, not the sole reason, but a big reason is to give Mitch another chance. Yes, like the, that was the, the other thing. He was not, let's make the quarterback position as good as we possibly can because this team is built for the playoffs. We just need a quarterback. Like, that was the whole talk, like, after last season. If this Bears team had just had an average quarterback last year, I mean, obviously you wanted a better offensive line and running game. There were other issues. But if the quarterback play could have been better, this team could have been a playoff team last year. So in the offseason, the priority should have been, Let's get the best possible quarterback we can afford that we can acquire this offseason. So maybe you couldn't afford Philip Rivers. Maybe you couldn't afford Teddy Bridgewater. But again, Cam Newton, Jameis Winston, uh, uh, Andy Dalton, maybe even Alex Smith, given that, that he's able to be back. But could they have gotten one of those guys? It wouldn't have been nearly as cheap as they went with Jameis Winston or Cam Newton. I mean, that's not – I agree with you. That's not a valid argument to say they could have had Newton for $1 million. Absolutely not. But could they have had – Winston or Newton or or even Andy Dalton, if if that's your flavor for something they could have afforded and maybe not even have to give up a fourth round pick in in some of those cases, maybe. And and that's where I'm a little bit more willing to be critical of the Bears and and the uh, the decision the the process more than anything. And I can I can see that I can, for sure. But you know it, it's it's just one of those things. Like the quarterback position has been such a sore spot for the last several years. Um, you know, from any from anywhere from Pace being incompetent to the Bears being a racist organization because we took the one white quarterback over the two, um, you know, the the black quarterback, the mixed uh, quarterback in Mahomes uh, and such that, you know, we've never had a quarterback, a black quarterback before, Henry Burris, Cordell Stewart, Jeff Blake, but that's just me. Um, <laughs> you know, just off the it's top of my head there. racist, not the team. Yeah. So, yeah, that's what it is. But it's just, yeah. <laughs> so, but, you know, it's just, it's a headache about this quarterback position. It really is something I wish we could get taken care of so we can stop talking about it. But as long as Mahomes and Watson are living and breathing, we'll never hear the end of it. So, um, but anyway, moving on. That was our 
quarterback position, running backs, Tariq Cohen, David Montgomery, Ryan Nall, Cordero Patterson. So essentially we signed, we have three running backs and seven receivers because we have six receivers in Ted Ginn, Anthony Miller, Darnell Mooney, Riley Ridley, Allen Robinson, and Javon Wims. So there's your skill players there. It's weird, right? Yeah. I mean, it's, and as much as Cordell Patterson is listed as the running back, I still think we're going to see quite a bit of him at wide receiver. I don't, mm-hmm. I don't know what split that's going to be, if it's 60-40 running back or whatever it might be, especially with David Montgomery potentially missing a game or two with that that injury. I would imagine we'll see more Cordero Patterson at running back earlier, and then as we go on, he'll get on the field more at wide receiver. But, you know, David Montgomery needs to be better than what we saw last season. He was a rookie. It's understandable that he would – you know, have some mistakes there and hit a little bit of a rookie wall, but sounds like he trimmed a little bit of body fat, added some muscle, and is was before the injury. You know, looking faster and smoother and more sleek in this offense. Hopefully, the groin doesn't slow down that development if it's going to be able to get back to 100% or not. But you know, the all the pieces are there for Matt Nagy to do some really creative things with this offense, and it felt like that's what we said last year at this time and that's part of why we were so excited going into 2019 it was like patterson and cohen and you know some versatile pieces here and anthony miller's gonna be better and like we never saw that from matt Nagy. we never saw all of the weapons being used as creatively as we would have wanted and maybe some of that had to do with the quarterback position and the inconsistency there as well as the inconsistency on the offensive line that Nagy felt like well you can't start getting crazy if we can't do the, the easy stuff the fundamental runs and the you know the basic passes in our passing concepts so I give him a little bit of a benefit of the doubt in some of that regard but like is that same excuse going to hold up again this year you know if Trubisky struggles again if the offensive line struggles again is it is it another free pass for Matt Nagy to not necessarily utilize some of those players as creatively as he could I mean I I'm salivating at the possibility of you you put Cohen and Patterson both on the field you can have a two-back set or you can have a five wide receiver set and the defense has to kind of be able to prepare for both I mean Absolutely sign me up, but I have my doubts as to how great of a running back Cordero Patterson can be given how limited his experience is there, but you sprinkle him in here and there, and you can maybe get some plays like the Patriots were able to do with him in 2018. Well, and I think that kind of brings into discussion part of the offensive or part of the offseason that we didn't uh, talk about was the subtraction slash additions to the offensive coaching staff outside of Harry Heastand was that we've got a brand-new offensive coordinator, we've got a brand-new quarterback coach, uh, John Filippo, Bill Lazor, our brand-new uh, offensive uh, coordinator. How much of an impact will they have on the, the you know, setting up the, uh, the what's the word I'm looking for? Pl- um, game plan, Jesus Christ. Game plan uh, from from week to week, and, you know, the, the input that they'll have on the, on the, the play calling uh, in, situ- in situations like that. I mean, I know Nagy says he's still going to be the one uh, calling the plays, but, you know, with with uh, with the other guys gone, we got Laser and, and Juan Castillo, um, you know, going to be our, our play call, our pass, and our running game coordinators, I guess, and then our passing game coordinator is uh, our old quarterback coach whose name is escaping me at the moment. Ragone, Dave Thank Ragone. you, Ragone, that's it. Um you know, I, I kind of thought this was a guy who was going to be on the chopping block, not getting a promotion. <laughs> yeah. 
You know, this is a guy that was our quarterback's coach and one of the worst quarterback years we've ever had, and he keeps – not only does he keep his job, it's like how, how, how nice it must be to fail upwards. I, could, I don't know how, they, how people do that, but it, it, to me it seems like Dave Ragone exactly did that. Like he failed upward somehow into uh, a passing game coordinator uh, for us. So, um, you know, how much of an impact will those guys have – to get Nagy, you know, calling plays in a certain way to to utilize the the talent to, you know, the different formations and, and things like that. And and my biggest concern for this offense, especially when it comes to the passing game, is third down. It's third down because how many times last year did we see the Bears? It's third and six. We hit Allen Robinson on a three yard route, and he's got to get the rest of the three yards on his own. When literally every other team that we played. They're running seven to eight yard routes before they're turning around looking for the ball on third and six. They're getting past the sticks, then looking for the ball, while as the Bears in that, you know, college philosophy start short and get the rest kind of thing, and it didn't work 99% of the time. And it's tough because I, I can see from Matt Nagy's perspective of like, well, my offensive line can't pass block for more than a couple seconds, and my quarterback can't be accurate downfield, so... <laughs> How, how how much do I want to trust him to throw past the sticks? But at the same time, like, you also have to put your offensive line and quarterbacks in position to where the route concept will get somebody open beyond the line of scrimmage, the pass, you know, the protection, whether that's a running back staying in, a tight end, or a rollout or something to give your quarterback the time to throw. There are more things a coach can do to allow for some of these things to happen. So I, I definitely don't take all the – I don't put all the blame on Matt Nagy, but I don't give him free of blame – either in a lot of those situations and I think it speaks to some of what you were saying about you know these new coaches impacting game plans I just wonder I think the game plans are going to be different with with so many different voices contributing to them but if you're Matt Nagy and you're in the heat of a game it's the fourth quarter you know you're down six and it's third and five and you got to get this first down you're going to go with what you trust and what you know and you're, you're what you're comfortable with and it might not be what your new offensive coordinator has been suggesting all season. It might not be what your new quarterbacks coach wants to see. You know, you, you're going to trust your gut and go with your play, and that's going to be more like what we saw in 2019. And we saw the results then. Will the results be different? I mean, it's a very small sample size, but I I'm cons- I have concerns about okay, how much how different will things actually be when you actually get into the game and it's Matt Nagy's decision at all of those points, and it's it's no one else's. And that's where I think guys like Juan Castillo and John Filippo, guys that Nagy has worked with in the past, might be able to help us out this year. Because I have a very real feeling that Matt Nagy is an emotional play caller. I really have a feeling that he's like one of those guys, like you play Madden and you know this play works and for some reason it's not working. And even though it's fourth and 21, God damn it, we're going to run this play and we're going to get a first down. I got a feeling that Matt Nagy is one of those guys, and maybe that Juan Castillo and Filippo would be able to talk to Nagy and get them to get him to listen in a way that those other guys couldn't to maybe bring him back down to earth and be like, no, no, we should we should run this or we should go with this. Let's go with that coach and you know so on and so forth. Maybe kind of bring him back down to earth and to keep him more even keel. Like I said, I have very real feeling that Nagy's an emotional play call. Like that Saints game screams. Well, the running game sucks. We're just going to throw the ball because we ran the ball seven times in the entire game, five in the first half. And in a football game, we were never really down more than one score for the majority of the football game. We're still passing, 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 passing 
uh, you know, even though it's not working. It is, I feel like Nagy was going to make him do it until he got it right kind of thing, even though it's costing us this football game. We're going to do it until we get it right. And I think that maybe the new coaches and their familiarity with him, maybe they have a better way of reaching him so that he'll listen and come back down to earth and make the smarter play call. And one thing I'm kind of keeping an eye on that I, I just, you know, Matt Nagy's talked a lot this offseason about how he has no plans to give up the play calling duties. But the other day, Charles Leno, when he was talking to the media, you know, they asked him, you know, like, do you guys want to run the ball more? Is that part of your ident- offensive identity? And he's like, yeah, of course, offensive linemen, we, we love to run the ball, but I hope we get to run the ball more this season. And there was a specific phrasing he used where he said, if Matt Nagy is our play caller, I hope he calls more running plays. He said it real quick. He's like, and, and if Matt Nagy's the play caller, or if Coach Nagy's calling plays, I, I hope he's calling you know, more runs. And just that, that if there was the first sign of any semblance of a doubt that maybe somebody else could call some plays this year. I mean, I'm, I'm not, I don't think Matt Nagy's given it up week one, but you know, if they're struggling halfway through the season, is the door slightly open? I mean, I, I don't want to read too much into essentially one word Charles Leno said, but I, I just wonder if maybe at training camp practices, if Nagy was giving other guys some opportunities to call some plays just so they could get some of that experience. And maybe he's open to that possibility at some point. You know, and honestly, I hope that Nagy does not because he's a bad play caller, but because I think he's such an excellent coach. I really do think that Nagy is a great coach. That was one of the things we were kind of blown away with in 2018 was how the team responded to him, how they bought into his message, the the whole thing. You could tell that team was behind its coach. They were buying what he was selling. And I think that he's kind of the opposite of a guy like Wade Phillips. Wade Phillips is an out-of-this-world defensive coordinator. He's had top defenses literally everywhere he's been. Put him in charge of the whole team, it kind of falls apart. And I was thinking that maybe Nagy is the opposite. He's a guy that needs to be coaching the whole team instead of just focusing on one aspect of it. And I think maybe the Bears would be a bit more successful if that was what was going on. He let the he, you know, obviously he takes part in the game plan and and setting that up and going into it, but come game day, he's coaching the team and not just worried about how Mitch is doing or making sure we're getting this run on that and so on and so forth. Yeah, and he could even just spend even more time with the quarterbacks. I mean, I know you have a quarterback's coach and you don't want to like step on his toes, but if Bill Lazor is calling the offensive plays, he can really hone in on even more even what Mitch is doing and, and not have to focus on everything else and say, okay, Mitch, here's I, – you know, like there have been times last season where – the media will ask Matt Nagy about a play after the game, and he'll say, oh, "I didn't really have a great view of it, or I didn't really, I didn't really see that because I was focused on other things." I wonder if taking away some play calling might open him up to be able to do more hands-on coaching in some of those ways, given his past experience as a quarterbacks coach and an offensive line coach, but or I mean as an offensive coordinator. But I, you know, I, I looked and like this Bears offensive coaching staff has a lot of coaches. I mean, a quick count: two, four, six, eight, ten, I think, or eleven assistants on offense under Matt Nagy, whereas you're looking more like, what, six or eight on defense under Chuck Pagano, I mean, including Chuck Pagano. The Bears have, you know, passing game coordinator, assistant wide receivers coach, assistant offensive line coach. They got a lot of different guys there that are all carrying a lot of duties. And and why not, if you have so many people around, why not give them some more opportunity to call plays and and use the people and the talent in the coaching room that you have? So to finish up the offense... Five tight ends, like you said earlier, Jimmy Graham, Demetrius Harris, J.P. Holtz, Cole Komet, our second-round pick, and Eric uh, Saubert, um, guy that we signed off of waivers 
uh, last year, ended up making the initial roster. Offensive linemen, we kept nine. Alex Bars, Rashad Coward, Arlington Hambright, and Jason Spriggs are the backups. Uh, James Daniels, uh, Charles Leno, Bobby Massey, Cody Whitehair, and Jermaine Afidi will be our starters in no in particular order there. So, I mean, that's the offense. Those are the guys that we're, we're rolling with on that one. So 2 and 4 and 6 and then 12, 17, and 26. 26 of the 53 guys on the offensive side of the football. Any last thoughts on the offensive side? I was going to say the, the 53 isn't fully set at this point because the defensive lineman Mario Edwards right. Jr., is coming in, has to pass his COVID tests and things like that. And also there's the they changed the injured reserve rules this year so that yeah. you could put a guy on and only leave him down for three weeks and bring him back and do that as many times as you want. So I wouldn't be too surprised if we see at least another change to this 53 before week one. Oh, I, I wouldn't doubt that at all. But do uh, you know anybody who's who might be on the chopping block for Mario Edwards? No, so they they, they only have 52, basically. Oh, with, okay. Edwards isn't fully there. I, I mean, see. he's... He, he they've agreed to terms so he will count as the 53 but he's not a part Especially of it yet yeah he might not be able to practice wednesday when they first start practicing understood speaking of defense five defensive linemen roy robertson harris akeem hicks john jenkins Bilal nichols brent urban obviously the, the name missing there is eddie goldman but he opted out god bless him um Inside linebackers, Joe E.A. Booneyway, or Yoel E.A. Booneyway, uh, Roquan Smith, Danny Trevathan, Josh Woods. Outside linebackers, a.k.a. edge rushers, pass rushers, Travis Gibson, our fifth rounder, Khalil Mack, Barkevius Mingo, Robert Quinn, James Vauders. That's a top-heavy group there, Lauren. It feels like a top-heavy Bears defense even as a whole. I mean, as we'll get a little bit farther on. I mean, this is... This is a year where you'd think depth would be as more important than ever with the possibility of, of COVID hitting these, this roster. But, yeah. you know, it's it, you feel really good about three defensive linemen. You feel good about two outside linebackers and two inside linebackers. And yeah. if anybody else has to play significant snaps, uh, are you feeling that great about uh, you know anybody else stepping into the start? You know, like in the past you had Nick Kwiatkowski or Kevin Pierre-Lewis at inside. You know, other guys across that team there, you know, maybe – Maybe John Jenkins and Roy Robertson-Harris, you know, between them as a fourth on the defensive line, maybe you can feel okay about. But I don't really trust Barcavius Mingo. You know, I don't really trust E.A. Booneway. They need those guys to stay healthy now more than ever. Right. You're absolutely right. I mean, Roy Robertson-Harris, Akeem Hicks, Bilal Nichols, those are probably your starters. And you got John Jenkins and Brett Urban backing them up. Uh, Trevathan and, and Roquan Smith are starters. Josh Woods, E.A. Booneway who have managed to stick with the team. You know, this is the fourth and final year for EA, or is it the third? Third year for EA Bunyu, isn't it? I believe, yeah, 2018 was his Yeah, he came in with Roquan, didn't they? Yes. Yeah, they came in together. So, but yeah, and then, of course, Khalil Mack, Robert Quinn, those are the starters. Travis Gibson's, James Vauders, Barkevius Mingo. I mean, we go off a cliff at outside linebacker. <laughs> you know, I was like, we got two, you know, Pro Bowl guys and Khalil Mack and Robert Quinn, and then we got a rookie, a busted first-round pick and a you know undrafted free agent in James Vauders, uh, you know right behind him. It's like, woof! Please keep those guys healthy this year, God. Uh, and then we had corners. It's pretty much the same thing. Kyle Fuller, Jalen Johnson. Those are your likely starters. Duke Shelley, Buster Scrine is our our nickel guy. Kendall Vildor, uh, our fifth-round pick. Then our safeties. Same situation. Eddie Gibson, Tashawn 
or excuse me, Eddie Jackson to Sean Gibson. Sherrick McManus, good old Sherrick McManus, a nice Irish boy sticking with the team once again. <laughs> DeAndre Houston Carson and Dion Bush are our safeties. Specialist Pat O'Donnell, Eddie Pinero, Patrick Scales. There's your 52 with Mario Edwards to be added to that bunch as soon as he passes his COVID test. So thoughts on the defensive side, aside from what we've been saying, it's a top-heavy unit on the defensive side. Once we get past the starters, it could get touchy for the Bears. Yeah, cornerback in particular, I'm I'm concerned about. That. There's been talk that perhaps Buster Screen will start as an outside cornerback, and then when they go into their nickel package, he'll move into the slot, and Jalen Johnson will come in on the outside as still an outside cornerback, but not the quote-unquote starter in their base packages. And I, I've never been a huge Buster Screen fan in terms of his consistency. He's been able to be healthier than Bryce Callahan was, but a clear drop-off in talent there. And Jalen Johnson coming in as a rookie second-round pick, there's going to be some challenges that he has to go through. So I, I have some concerns about the strength of the secondary, although I think Tashawn Gibson at safety will do a, a good enough job to kind of hold things down there without too many fears. And it's going to be up to Kyle Fuller and Eddie Jackson to carry some of the load there. And more importantly, this pass rush needs to stay healthy and needs to get home so these cornerbacks aren't left out to dry and let quarterbacks you know, really take advantage of them downfield. Yeah, and I'm, I'm just really looking forward to Quinn and Mack on the field at the same time and hopefully the magic that we're looking for will come to life, that we'll actually see those guys meet at the quarterback as opposed to, you know, Mac always getting there and Floyd being back at the line of scrimmage. You know, unless, of course, he's going up against the Packers when he's a, a demon on feet uh, out there, but against literally everyone else, Floyd was a non. I mean, he had how many sacks in his career and like 60% of them were against Green Bay. God bless him for that, but... You know, that's not who we drafted him to be. And again, why Green Bay? Why do things happen in Green Bay where Floyd can't get sacks all season and then end of the year comes into Green Bay, grabs a couple? Uh, <laughs> just weird, weird, weird stuff, but definitely a much – they need this to be that upgrade. Like you said, this has yeah. to be a better front seven, and maybe that some of that can be Chuck Pagano as well, blitzing some – inside linebackers there and some different rotations on the defensive line there's and there's, there needs to be more than just Robert Quinn that's for sure oh for sure absolutely but there needs to be somebody other than Khalil Mack he's yes. not going to be able to maintain facing triple teams like he did last year you know like offense is just literally just loaded up the side where Khalil Mack was to shut him down because they weren't worried about anybody else and no one else really gave them a reason to be so, I mean, we need there to be another guy, whether it's just a healthy Akeem Hicks, uh, you know, being out there to be the other guy for us. That's great. If, you know, and then Robert Quinn would be, the, you know, icing on the cake. But somebody else has to step up to help out Khalil Mack. I mean, we're not going to be able to, to hang on to him because he's going to get beat to hell uh, before we can, you know, really get to use him here. Yeah. And, and like you said, with if you don't have that other pass pressure and if it's going to be Khalil Mack triple teamed and for whatever reason Robert Quinn is injured or unable to be as productive it's going to be a long season for Jalen Johnson and Buster Screen behind them oh for sure for sure so real quick we'll go through our 16 man practice squad very different rules for the practice squad this year because initially it was going to be the main change for the practice squad was going to be that we could have 12 guys instead of 10 as the new collective of bargaining agreement. But with COVID, 
the the rules are just there's like 10 brand new rules to the to the thing uh you can have 16 guys there can be up to i think six with unlimited nfl experience um uh, you can uh, protect four of them from being signed to go into a game i guess as you know help for the the covid thing with injuries and you know the, sp- the spread of the disease and uh, and things like that. It's just all kinds of little caveats with the practice squad that didn't exist prior to COVID-19 taking over the world. And the one thing about this, you know, when it comes to the Bears practice squad, is it, I don't know, I didn't feel like they took great advantage of the new rules yet. I mean, Cairo Santos will help with, with Eddie Pinero's injury. And, of course, you want to keep Tyler Bray as your quarterback three. But, like, it was mostly just guys that they already knew you know, guys that were around, and I understand that it's you, you haven't been able to see a lot of guys from outside the organization as of yet, so maybe this practice squad composition will change, but this is all the guys that you've had around for most of the year. It's three wide receivers or, and, what, four offensive linemen. They, they did bring in Javon Brown as an outsider, which was good to see, but, like, it feels like this was an opportunity to take some players from elsewhere, bring them into your organization, and get to practice with them and get a, an extended look at them with some other guys that have been available with much fewer restrictions on which players would be practice squad eligible. I mean, you're not going to put, you know, Jadavion Clowney on your practice squad or anything like that. But I, I wondered if they could have maybe brought in some different outside talents that are just kind of rolling with 16 guys that they already know pretty well. Well, I mean, especially when a guy like um, Cravon LeBlanc became free when the when the Eagles let him go. You know, granted, he's not somebody you want on, you you know, ideally to be on your practice squad. But, I mean, there's an easy practice squad signing uh, right there just to get him in the house again. And then, you know, maybe see about getting him elevated onto the roster a little bit further uh, down the line. He played well for us and has done well in, you know, what, Detroit and Philadelphia in his time since leaving uh, the Bears. And, you know, so why not give him another shot? That's a guy that we know. Um, and f- like you were saying, First sentence, I'm looking at the, the, Bears, uh, the Bears website here. First sentence after the list of 16 players, 15 of the 16 players that were waived or released by the Bears were, re- were waived or released by the Bears as part of final cuts. So like you said, we know all of these guys, literally all of them except for Jamon Brown, who was with the Falcons. So all of these guys have been in-house and with us, you know, Artavis Pierce, Reggie Davis, Stephen Denmark, Wide receiver Thomas Ives and Rodney Adams. Tight end Jesper Horstead, one of my guys. Uh, offensive lineman Sam Mustafar, Jamon Brown, Lachavia Simmons, the seventh rounder that got cut. And here's a name for you, Badara Treor. Treor? Ray, yeah. Yeah. Part of that national championship LSU team. Ah, okay. Defensive but- tackle Abdullah Anderson. Defensive end LaCale London. I was especially interested in him. He's from my alma mater, Western Illinois. Uh, linebacker Rashad Smith, safety Xavier Crawford, and kicker, like you said, Cairo Santos. Those are our 16 guys. But, like, you know, there's three wide receivers on there, and it's good that the Bears have a lot of young guys that they like and they want to see more of. I, I get that. You know, keep Artavis Pierce, an intriguing running back. Keep Lachavius Simmons. You know, you, you can make an argument for a lot of these guys individually, but, like, you know, I look at Reggie Davis and Rodney Adams and Thomas Ives at wide receiver. Ives is a guy that stood out last preseason. I understand wanting to bring him back. But, you know, if you wanted to keep three wide receivers, look around a little bit. I mean, I believe um, the Vikings receiver, Laquan Treadwell, is was released by the Falcons. He's a free agent. Not that he would be uh, amazing, but if you could get him on your practice squad, you know, Jake Kummerow from the Packers has been a guy that they liked and, and 
you know, he ended up going to the Bills practice squad, I believe, had been on their 53-man roster. You've got some recent draft picks like Hakeem Butler from the Arizona Cardinals, uh, Cody Latimer, who spent some time in Denver, Taewon Taylor with the 49ers and the Browns as well. I mean, these are all guys that are not going to be, I mean, they're practice squad available for a reason, but I'd take any of those guys over, well, well, I don't even remember the names of the, what, Rodney Adams and Reggie Davis, players that, you know, we've never heard of that maybe were impressive at practice, but likely don't have quite the same level of talent as some other guys who were legitimate NFL draft picks that could still have some untapped potential. And this would be a great opportunity to get them in your organization without having them take up a full roster spot. Yeah. So, I mean, it's, it's uh, something that I was talking to about, um, talking about with uh, my last guest, Chris Gates, uh, the other day was that, you know, think about how maybe the scouting departments are kind of hampered. This yeah. Year. I mean, uh, there there are pro scouts that all they do is go around and watch other pro games to look at you know back of the roster kind of guys that maybe we would want to sign to our to our practice squad or maybe make a trade a seventh uh, conditional seventh round conditional pick to get our hands on to you know come and help and be a developmental guy or a special teams player for us and 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 things like that or just scouting our opponents uh, for next week and and things like that. Those guys can't do that right now. They, those guys aren't traveling like they like they used to. There's you know there's a there's barely any college games out there, and you know the, the there's the, the college scouts. What are they doing uh, right now? And, and so on. And so I mean it's 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 a tough time to be a scout and to be doing that job uh, right now in, in the in the world that we're currently living in. You would think they would have more time to watch film on then more players like if you've already watched all the existing film there is on guys and you can't go to new games then add more players to your library and you'd think you should have even a better understanding of some of these guys that maybe before you didn't have as much time to dig deeper into which to me would give you more information about players outside of your organization that you might want to also then bring in on your practice squad just i don't know it's it's probably a a useless frustration but it just feels a little bit frustrating All right, so there's our roster with the addition of Mario Edwards to make it a complete 53 at some point this week, I believe. So now, finally, to close things up, we have our schedule. And obviously we know that, uh, let's see, today is the 7th, so six days from today, less than a week, Lauren, uh, we take on the Detroit Lions in Detroit. Question number one, does it feel like we're six days away from the first game of the season? Is it somehow yes and no at the same time? Right. (laughs) You know, like I'm really excited for there to be football on Sunday again. Yes. I'm ready for it to be six days away, but we haven't had any of that build up. Yes. That that you normally are like, okay, you've gotten your appetizer with some preseason and some training camp, and now you're ready for the main course. Now we're just jumping in with the buffet. You know, you're going up there and you're just filling up your plate with as much football as you can possibly get. So like. I'm I'm at the restaurant and I'm hungry, but I'm like I'm I'm surprised that the food is ready already. <laughs> yeah, it's like no salad bar, just jumping right into the entrees, yeah. man. Just you know, no cleansing the palate. Just go in there and get after it. You know, go for the steaks and you know all that kind of I stuff. Even ordered yet? What the heck? Yeah, <laughs> my food's already here. Yeah, no kidding, man. So I mean, and and that's a great analogy uh, with that. I just. You know, and like you said, yes, I mean, the calendar says that's what's supposed to be happening. But like you said, we haven't had any of the buildup. The the excitement is the natural excitement, but it's not the 
you know, I'm chomping at the bit like I'm sitting here trembling, waiting for the six days from today. Bears, Lions, I can't wait. It's it's happening. Oh, my God. You know, it's just that that inherent feeling that was there last year. I mean, granted, we talked about how excited I was for 2019 to start, but it was like, oh, yeah, Bears, Packers, Thursday night, baby. We're getting it done. This is going to happen. The start of the season, here we go. The football, here it is. It's back. And, oh, blah, it's just like that's not there this year. You know, it's just going to be like I'm going to wake up Sunday morning. I'm going to, you know, maybe grab some breakfast. I'm going to sit down. I'm going to, you know, kind of sloth my way through the Sunday morning shows because they all suck now and <laughs> wait for kickoff to finally come. And then it's just like, oh, we got Bears Lions on uh, Fox and we got whoever and whoever on CBS. And all right. So we're playing football now. It's like, right. who and what are you excited to see in week one? There's yes, not, if, that's if, it. If, that's if, the if, other thing. Yeah, if Nick Foles was starting, it's like, okay, let's see what the Nick Foles offense can do. I mean, what are we, are we supposed to get super hyped up for Jimmy Graham's Bears debut? Or, I mean, Robert Quinn is probably the closest thing to like, oh, man, I want to see Robert Quinn and Khalil Mack play defense. But that's, I don't know, that's not necessarily, like, enough. I mean, it's, you know, and I, I hate to say that because we haven't had football and we went a long time without sports even for a while there. But we haven't had football in, what, nine months. So, like I, I don't want to like take it for granted. Say, ah, oh, ho hum. There's football on my TV again. But it's like this Bears team doesn't have like a. It's like th- what we're excited for is them running it back again with the same guys that kind of disappointed us last year. So like I think we're understandable and it's fair to be like, well, how different should I expect it to be? I mean, there's a like we, like we said all, all along. There's a lot of gambles, and I'm interested to see how they play out. But I'm not getting my hopes all the way up for a three and 13 first place NFC North finish. Like this team is ready to go win the Super Bowl. I, they could do some things, but I'm, they're not ready to go win a Super Bowl just based on what we've seen so far on paper. Right. And because there was no preseason, um, like, you know, there were like all of these cuts that were made. I have no emotional attachment to them whatsoever. I mean, you heard how worked up I got over Cornelius Lucas over Alex Bars from a year ago. <laughs> there was nothing like that this year. You know, to be disappointed that James Vauders got cut last year when Isaiah Irving's was crap in the bed. And this year they made the right move. They got rid of Isaiah Irving and kept, uh, you know, James Vauders. This is a move that should have been made last year, not this year, last year, because James Vauders outplayed Isaiah Irving uh, in the preseason last year. This year there was no preseason for you to be able to get behind a guy like i'm i'm excited about daryl mooney or darnell mooney because uh they telling me that i should be because he's doing well (laughs) in practice not because it's like he came out there and kind of like when we got jordan howard and like look at the way this kid is running the football in the preseason he's really something you know uh what's his name's gonna have to watch his back or whoever our running back was that year jeremy langford langford that's it Yeah. yeah i love jeremy langford he was awesome he oh. made it. He made it. He made it easy to let go uh, of Matt Forte, especially with the way he played in 2015. He comes out in 2016, terrible in the preseason. And Jordan Howard takes the job from him almost immediately, and, another, and runs for a thousand yards. And he started didn't start until week four. Another Ryan Pace fifth round special. Yes, indeed. But, but you're telling me you're not pissed off about Kevin Tolliver getting released and not even brought back on the practice squad? I mean, there's your one closest thing to a preseason guy who was released that I liked. I mean, I thought he still had some potential there, and instead they go with the younger, later-round draft picks. Well, Kevin Tolliver was an undrafted rookie free agent to start with. Yes. And, you know, he's been kind of hanging on, and I've never really seen Kevin Tolliver. 
You know what I mean? Like he was, he came in and he played from time to time, was kind of forced into duty when Amukamura got hurt last year and things like that. But I've never seen so much from Tolliver that I was like, oh yeah, this kid's the future. He's going to be something for us. To hear that he didn't make the roster, that was surprising. Uh, it was also surprising that we didn't bring him back, like you said, and to maybe make him a practice squad guy, especially with the different rules this year. But I didn't see enough of Kevin Tolliver to have an emotional attachment to him like maybe if we'd have seen him out there and him stinking it up against the first teamers because he probably would have been a starter opposite Kyle Fuller in, in the preseason uh this year then yeah maybe I would have had a different way of or I would have had a feeling period uh, about it <laughs> but it's like with with no preseason with not having to you know kind of sit through those preseason games and watch those second third fourth string guys get out there without a chance to see Cole Komet go out there and do a thing or two, or maybe even Jimmy Graham make a catch or two in a bear uniform or anything like that. It's just so hard to get excited because, quite frankly, we don't know what we don't know about this team. You know, we, we don't know if these guys can play actual football as aside from playing against each other when it's mostly two-hand touch or it's full speed, you know, with no pads and things like that. So everybody's pulling up and, and so on and so forth. There's so much these guys haven't done, and we haven't seen any of it, any of it. So, I mean, no fans at, at, at training camp or anything like that. So these guys haven't faced any kind of crowd, and not that they're going to when the games get started anyway, but it's just like, like we'd start at the top of the show. This is very much like a college season where it's like you're only hearing from the outside about what's going on with the team, and then week one, boom, here they are. This is your team. These are our guys that we're going with let's get it done uh, kind of thing. And then you're just automatically going to go ahead and start cheering for these guys because they wear the uniform that you root for. Yeah, and I think that we don't know what we don't know thing applies really well here because we don't know – on one hand, we don't know how good they could be. I mean, yeah. they could be really good, and we also don't know how bad they could be. And I think given the taste that was left in our mouth last season, it's hard to necessarily give them the benefit of the doubt to say, oh, well – we don't know, so therefore they're going to be good. It's more like we don't know what they are right now, but we knew what they were most recently, and so prove us wrong. I guess prove yourselves wrong. Prove everybody wrong from what we saw last season. Prove that that was the mistake and the fluke and that this is what you truly are, but it's a little bit hard to get behind that for a lot of the reasons we've been discussing already. And that's and that's pretty much it. You know, we didn't get to see what this, uh, you know, if our new offense is going to look any different than it did the year before. We're still going to run the same, you know, same formations. Are you still going to be able to see the Bears running the football from a mile away uh, by the guys that they put on the field? Or will this new tight end group really help us mix it up that you won't be able to tell that when Shaheen's in the game, we're running the ball. But, uh, you know, when Trey Burton's in the game, we're obviously passing, you know, and things, things like that. When J.P. Holtz is on the field, we're running the football because he's going to be our fullback or the sixth tackle on the end of the line of scrimmage, one of the two. You know, that, that kind of thing, the way that our formation would kind of tip the hand to the defense on what they can look forward to as opposed to, you know, us being able to mix it up. Will Bill Lazor and, and Filippo, you know, coming in and, and adding some extra cooks to the kitchen, will they be able to help us, you know, maybe tweak it a little bit to make it a little less predictable, how will the offensive line look because of Juan Castillo? We won't know any of that until it counts. It's going to count for real 
when we're seeing this for the first time. And I think that that maybe we as Bear fans are living in a glass half empty world because of that. Yeah, and I guess to some extent, there the advantage that the Bears get from it is that you know no other team is seeing them in the preseason. Right. Although they're not seeing any other team in the preseason either, so. The opponents don't have a lot to scout on each other, and if it goes in both directions. It'll be a benefit for the Bears, and it'll be a problem for the Bears. But I think, you know, with a team that's trying to change a lot of what it did the year before, at least offensively, I think there's an advantage there as opposed to a defense that's trying to just maintain a lot of what it's done before. I mean, there's always going to be slight changes, but I think if if I'm another team, it's much easier to prepare for the Bears' defense this year based on what they did last year than the Bears offense this year. And I think as you sort of look around the NFL with the Lions, you know, they're they do have a new defensive coordinator, but it'll be the same offense, same offensive coordinator, same success they had with Matt Stafford. There's some room to kind of be able to prepare for a lot of the same things. So at least for now, I think the Bears are, are in a fortunate matchup in this regard for week one. But then once you get a couple of weeks of the season, everybody'll have tape on everybody and we'll be back closer to quote unquote normal. And the Bears have a great benefit, probably for the first time in a long time, of having, and forgive me for saying, knock on wood, it won't jinx us, a soft schedule to kick things off this year. You have the Lions week one, a team that we've won, what, four or five games straight? And it seems to be like the team that Mitch Trubisky likes to stomp the shit out of more than anybody (laughs) else. Like Mitch Trubisky shows up when the Lions are on the other side of the field for some reason. It's just that's who the kid is. That's that's the team that he's chosen to be the one that he's got the answers for. Then we're home week two for the Giants, a team that we beat last year. Then we've got the Falcons, and that's when that's the one where it, it could get, I don't want to say messy, but it could get interesting at least, depending on which one of those Falcons teams shows up. Is the one that started one and seven going to show up, or the team that finished, you know, what like six and two uh, down the down the end of the road? Which one of those teams is is going to be the one that we see uh, in Atlanta week three? And then we're home for the Colts. How well will will Philip Rivers be fitting in with his offensive uh, weapons? Will you know this was another team in the Colts that was that basically they were the AFC Bears. This was a team that that kind of overachieved in 2018, made the playoffs, kind of went on a run a little bit there, and then in 2019, marred by injuries and you know a bad quarterback situation, thanks to Andrew Luck's uh, you know early retirement and and things like that, never really recovered to turn their season into much in 2019. How well will they have recovered by the time we see them week four uh, of this season? And that's the first quarter: Lions on the road, Giants at home. Falcons on the road, Colts at home. I would expect, I mean, you could sort of see how this starts to play out here, right? Like Mitch comes out well against the Detroit Lions. All is right in Chicago. I mean, maybe not all, but, you know, things are calm. You know, maybe against the Giants he has another pretty good game because, like you said, the Giants not not the best team in terms of talent where they are right now. And then things start to get a little rocky against the Falcons and the Colts there where it's legitimate more playoff contenders, even though they both finished below the bears last season at seven and nine you think maybe by then philip rivers will be more comfortable four weeks into the season they'll be starting to hit their rhythm a little bit and atlanta their guess is kind of as good as anybody uh, what level of falcons you're going to get but from there it's like that's sort of the ramping up period you get these two games of like almost preseason for trubisky then you start the real tests with atlanta and indianapolis and if he can survive those 
then it's then you start playing with literally the big boys. I mean, you know, you get to that next quarter where you've got some real playoff teams into the third quarter of the season as well, and that's when we'll know who this Bears quarterback is going to be for the rest of the season. I think if if once we get into that stretch a little bit, that's when you know, like I think this first quarter is is going to be like I don't think we're going to see Mitch benched in this first quarter unless he really just completely craps the bed from the get go. But it seems like based on what we know about those teams on paper. He's going to survive this first quarter, but then the heat's going to turn up quite a bit once we get on from there. Oh, for sure, because week five is a quick turnaround. It's a Thursday night game, and we're home for the Tom Brady-led Buccaneers. And and according to Peter King, the Buccaneers are winning the Super Bowl this year. Even though they won't win the division and they'll be the sixth seed in the NFC, they're going to win the Super Bowl. They're going to beat the Chiefs in the Super Bowl this year, according to Peter King. So take that. For, I used to really respect Peter King. I was kind of falling off uh, big time after reading that article. <laughs> like I expect Tampa Bay to be way better than they were the year before. Brady, they've got a lot of talent on that offensive side, uh, you know, and they just keep seem to be adding to it uh, there. But to be able to run the gauntlet in the NFC, I don't know about that. I really don't. So, but we'll see. Uh, week five, Tampa Bay on Thursday night, mini buy. On the road to Carolina, then on the road for Monday night against the Rams, and then week eight home for the New Orleans Saints. So there you go. Second quarter is the AFC South is based, or excuse me, excuse me, the entire NFC South minus um, who are we missing? Oh, we've already played the Falcons. So yep. basically, so the rest of the AFC South and the uh, Rams are the second quarter. So Bucks, Panthers, Rams. Saints, like you said, definitely ramping it up there. Buccaneers, a team everyone expects to be uh, a playoff team this year. Carolina Panthers, probably the one real question mark in that group just because new head coach, Teddy Bridgewater at quarterback, you know, the one thing you can know for certain is, uh, you know, CMC, Christian McCarthy. He's going to be who we need to worry about in that one. Pretty much everything else after that is kind of, you know, we'll take what comes I guess on that one, it's like, but if you shut down Christian McCarthy, we got a pretty good chance to win that game. The Rams, it's kind of like the Bears. Will they bounce back from 2019 or won't they? And by the time we get to week number seven, we're playing the Rams. We should be on our way to getting an answer to that question. And then the Saints, probably the best of those four teams right now on paper, you know, and, and probably possibly the best team we faced up to this point in, in, uh, in the schedule. We got them uh, at home in, in a late game on Fox. Drew Brees and, and company and Michael Thomas and, and all those guys that carved us up uh, last year. Um, they'll all be back. Well, actually, here's the other thing. We actually have to face Kamara and Brees, or so we think at this point, as opposed to not having to face them and still getting our ass kicked last year. <laughs> yeah, and instead they'll get Teddy Bridgewater with the Panthers in week six instead of with the, the New Orleans Saints. But right. Yeah, it, like you said, I think Panthers feels like a very winnable game, a, a team very much in transition that's not expected to do great this year. And the Rams bringing just as many question marks as the Bears, anybody's guess. I mean, at that point, put them in the same category as the Falcons and the Colts earlier in the season. By the time we get to that game, the Rams could be totally out of it or they could be clicking on all cylinders for some reason. But right. all, all these teams that kind of finished in that 7-9 and nine range last season that are, are disappointing. So, you know, at this point... This is about where we'll know with Mitch because if if he's getting 
you know, if there's a shootout with the Buccaneers, he can't keep up. And then maybe, you know, think maybe he bounces back a little bit against the Panthers. And then he's always had some trouble against that Rams defense. They've had some low scoring, ugly games against the Rams. And then potentially another shootout or just a beatdown from the New Orleans Saints in week eight. What's Matt Nagy's appetite going to be at that point, especially depending on how some of those other toss up games went? Like, I don't want to get too ahead of ourselves in terms of wins and losses here, but if the first couple of easy games go well, and then a couple of those intermediate games, if those go well, then maybe there's more of an appetite to. You know, you can endure losses to the Buccaneers and Saints because they did better against some of the more average teams. But if they were already getting their butts kicked against the Falcons and the Colts, and then you lose to the Buccaneers and the Rams and the Saints too, all in the first eight weeks, boy, that Nick Foles sitting on the bench sure looks nice for a, a late season stretch with a lot of divisional opponents. Well, and that's the thing about the first and second quarter of the schedule. The first quarter sets itself up nicely. I mean, it is possible. It is possible to be looking at four and zero, three and one depending on who these teams turn out to be, especially week three and week four with the Falcons and the Colts. Those are the real question marks. I think with the Lions and the Giants, we know what we're getting ourselves into there. But with the Falcons and the Colts, it's like it's like for the third year in a row, Matt Nagy could be 3-1 and one after the first four games of the season. But then you get into that second quarter, you got the Bucks, the Panthers, the Rams, and the Saints. We could be looking at 2019 where we started 3-1 and one, and all of a sudden we're 4-4 four and four again. So... You know, or three and five, God forbid. Uh, but you know, back in that place where you, you know you're excited after the first month of the season, the first four weeks are in the books. We're looking good. Uh, we, you know, we've got that three and one record, uh, possibly in first place in the division with you know the first quarter in the books, and then the second quarter happens, and we're trying to dig ourselves out of last place again all of a sudden. And so it, it very much is like that second quarter is where business really picks up, and we're really going to learn what we have on our hands here. Uh, with this team and even though we still got eight games to go after that I think it's those four games that'll prove to be the most pivotal in how the season's going to turn out I agree because I think it, you have to be ready for the the third quarter of the season in particular that I think as much as uh, that second quarter is, is pivotal because it leads you into this this so critical second half of the season like the second quarter is where it pivots but those last eight games or so are the most important for your final season outcome. It's mainly because you have five divisional games in there, right. but yeah. you start to get some real quality playoff opponents mixed in there as well. I mean, and then the Jaguars is the only really easy break of a game you've got for the rest of the season at that point. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, the third quarter we're at Tennessee uh, week number nine, then we're home from Monday night against the Vikings, which based on the history of the uh, matchup, is a win in Chicago because it just is. So, I mean, but it's Monday night. It's week 10. Uh, we'll, we'll see how it ends up going. And then a week 11 bye from, for the last three or four years, week four, week five, those early, early buys, to have one week 11, I had very mixed feelings about that. Like I was happy that it wasn't week five or week six like it had been the last couple of years. was kind of hoping for a, a week eight, week nine, somewhere in the middle, instead of like on the back half of the like one of the one of the last teams to get a bye this year will be us. And I do think it's it's nice with all the divisional games afterward for how it yeah, plays. Sure. I mean, yeah. if I could if I could put it anywhere I want on the schedule, I'd probably either put it after week 8 or week 9 rather yeah. than 11 yeah. cuz that seems like a, a nice place to break it up, but if if the Bears are a team in a position to compete for the playoffs, that's not a bad spot to take a pause regroup and then try and win you know four or five out of your last six 
and ride that momentum with Nick Foles into the playoffs. Yeah. So the third quarter would be Tennessee at Tennessee, home for the Vikings. There's your bye week. Then at Green Bay, first matchup of the year, week 12 at Lambeau, Sunday night football, and then closing out the third quarter, closing out the set with the Lions in Chicago. So, Lauren, correct me if I'm wrong, but the last time we came off a bye into a Sunday night game with the Packers, didn't Rodgers throw six touchdowns in the first half of that game? That sounds right. Yeah. I, I mean, was I, that the last time that we did this particular scenario? I'm, I know that we've played there Sunday night many times over the over the years since then. That was 2014 in, in Mark Trestman's last year with the team. After we got our asses kicked by, by New England, 50-something to, to, to nothing or to, to just a little more than nothing. Peanuts. Yeah. Uh, we got two weeks to prepare for Green Bay on the road and lost 55-14, to 14, and the score at halftime was 42 to nothing. So how, how Tressman still had a job in the second half of that Green Bay game still blows my mind. Um, you know, like how you wouldn't fire a guy who'd given up 100 points in a, in a game and a half. Uh, <laughs> It's still dazzling to me, but he managed to hang on to it for the rest of the uh, for the rest of the season there. But um, you know, so that is what it is: uh, Tennessee, Minnesota, Green Bay, Detroit. Third quarter of the year, two national TV games and a bye in that span. And unfortunately, Nagy has not been great coming out of bye weeks either. So, oh God, damn, terrible. Not a lot of expectations going into that Sunday night game at Green Bay at all, but at least they get they'll get a second chance at the end of the year to bounce back, and maybe maybe that game will have some real playoff implications too. Maybe, and then the fourth quarter, home for Houston. And did you know that we're winless against the Texans? Really, we have not won a game they, against Houston. Played them like what three times? <laughs> four, I think four or five yeah. actually. But yeah, huh. have we have not beaten the Texans yet? Not one victory against the Houston Texans. Um, yeah, no, three, three, four, oh, and four. Something like that. Yeah, 2004, uh, they beat us. And, and the, the fact they beat us in 04 kind of blew my mind because it was a December game, one of the coldest days in Chicago, and they won like 14 to 5 or something like that. It was a really weird game at the end of Lovey's first season uh, as head coach, but it was a late December game, frigid cold. It was like 14 to 5. It was a real weird uh, score. 2008 was when we played them week 17 and we had to win win and you're in the playoffs if we win that game but Andre Johnson was too much for us we lose we don't make the playoffs instead Philadelphia gets in almost makes the Super Bowl in 2008 plays in the NFC championship game against the the uh, Cardinals in that one 2012 was the big you know two best teams in the NFL matchup where the seven and one Bears against the I think you know seven and one or something like that Texans and it was a defensive battle. They beat us ten to three uh, in that one. And then twenty sixteen, week one. <sighs> I, I remember still, that one. <laughs> oh my god, I'm still pissed off about it. John Fox not calling the challenge on on us stuffing Brock Osweiler on fourth and one. And then two plays Osweiler. later, two plays later, they score the touchdown that puts them ahead to uh, to win the game. That basically put us away. So there's our zero and four run against the Texans. Uh, right there so we start with the Texans Sunday night or excuse me Sunday afternoon it's all noon from uh, here on out home for the Texans on the road at Minnesota at Jacksonville home for Green Bay to close out the year um, 
Can't remember the last time we did that, let alone how we didn't finish the year at Minnesota. <laughs> Funny thing about that, though, when I was talking to my Minnesota guy the other day, I was like, dude, the schedule's broken. They have Minnesota week 15 instead of week 17. He's like, yeah, but if you notice, it's still the last home game of the year for the Vikings. <laughs> so for them, like the fourth or fifth year in a row, last home game of the year, Chicago Bears. So even though they've bumped it up to twenty to the to week fifteen instead of week seventeen, it's still the last ham home game of the year for the Vikings because they're on the road week sixteen, week seventeen this year. I was like, Well, I'll be damned. The NFL did it again in their own special little way, but they did it again. So How how much you want to bet? Somehow, some way, either the Bears get COVID or the Jaguars and Packers get COVID, and the last two games of the season have to be canceled, and the Bears finish their season <laughs> week 15 at Minnesota. <laughs> Wouldn't that be something? Wouldn't that be something? Just there it is, last game of the year at Minnesota. Deal with it. So, But there it is, the fourth quarter. We have you know, two, a two AFC South, two NFC North games, uh, very important uh, matchups. You know, Who are the Texans going to be? I'm actually semi-grateful that this will be a no-fans game so we don't have to deal with whatever we'd have to deal with in the, the, the first trip to Chicago for Deshaun Watson. Uh, and, you know, we got the, the road game at Minnesota, which has been a lucky place for us the last two years. We got Jacksonville. God only knows what things will be like in Jacksonville at that point. And then Green Bay to finish out the year. Very interested to see if that game means anything. You think it'll it will likely mean at least something for one of the two teams, right? I, I mean, believe so. Yeah, it seems the probability seems pretty low. I guess in, in Peter King's prediction, like you said, no Packers or Bears in the playoffs in that one. But it it seems unlikely that neither team will be contending for something by Week 17, unless you, you I could see a scenario where Packers, for whatever reason, already have a first round bye or something, and then it wouldn't matter for them. And you know, there's I guess there's some there's some outcomes there where it doesn't matter. But yeah, I'm 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 almost more interested to see like you know will the vikings and lions be contending for anything at this point in the season like you know, the vikings lost a lot of talent this offseason and the packers probably overachieved last season too so there's some real question marks about whether they'll be back in the playoffs and in that same spot and i, I really like a lot of what the lions were able to do before matthew stafford got hurt so like it's this is a, a weird season for the division because i i could see any of those three teams as playoff teams and i could see any of them as not playoff teams like they're, yes. they're None of them are like, oh, yeah, Green Bay's in for sure. I, I think I still like Green Bay as the most consistent. I, I have the most trust in them at this point. Sure. But it's possible that Rodgers has another down year and that defense continues to struggle a little bit and they don't have enough receiver talent around Rodgers. And by week 17, they're 8-8 eight and eight and not nearly as big of a threat as we thought. And it's possible the Vikings could be at 10 wins by week 15 and really just clicking for some reason with Kirk Cousins or they could completely tank from all the talent that they lost and be below 500 at that point. I mean, yeah. it, it none of them are easy games and none of them are super hard games at this point. It, it makes this bear schedule for me even harder to predict than right. in a normal season and I'm, I'm going to just blame COVID. Okay, so I'm with you on that one. I absolutely <laughs> am. I, I totally am because you go down this schedule and you could easily make through this schedule and say, 12 and 4, 11 and 5. You can talk yourself into it. Hell, you can even do better. If you're EA Sports, we're going 14 and 2 and winning the Super Bowl this year. Did you read that article? Yeah, it's the, the Nick Foles special, man. Yeah, the Nick Foles NFL MVP and Super Bowl MVP, and we beat the, the Chiefs in the Super Bowl. Did you see what his stats were? They were insane. 
Yeah, only in a video it's game. Like forty-seven touchdowns and five interceptions or something like that. It's like in a bear uniform. I don't think so. But yeah. uh, you know, it'd be fun to watch a fourteen and two team this year. That would certainly be uh, very nice. But you know, you look up and down the schedule. You know, the Falcons, like we said before, which team's going to show up? The the one and seven start or the six and two finish? The Colts, what are they going to look like with Phillip Rivers at the helm? Will it be working? Will it be clicking? Will they lean more on their running game with with Mack and, and Jonathan Taylor than they do on uh, Phillip Rivers? Kind of taking the pressure off of him uh, for one of the you know for 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 him late in here in his career. You know, will Tom Brady you know and the Buccaneers be the all world team that everyone is expecting them to be, or will they be like the 2011 uh, Philadelphia Eagles? where everybody thought this was the greatest team ever assembled on paper and they tanked their ass uh, in 2011 with all that talent uh, on the team. You know, will that be how that turns out for Tampa Bay? Just, you know, like, oh, well, there's, you know, it just didn't click. These guys didn't play well together despite having more talent than God uh, out there. You know, how will Carolina get behind Teddy Bridgewater and the brand new, uh, you know, offensive uh, philosophy with Matt Rule as, as the new head coach? And like we talked about with the Rams, will they be the 2018 Rams that went to the Super Bowl or the 2019 Rams who were inconsistent and couldn't get it figured out and, and things like that? Uh, and then the Saints, I think that, like I said, out of the first eight games, that's the one team I feel good about as far as, like, I'm pretty sure I know who the Saints are. And I know what to expect for them, or at least I think I do, uh, going into this. Then the Titans, yeah. <laughs> Did they just play out of their ass in the second half of the year and, and you know, kind of have that uh, that old school? Uh, do you know who Mike Utley is? No, I don't. Mike Utley was an offensive lineman for the Detroit Lions who broke his neck on in a game, paralyzed from the waist down, I believe, for the rest of his life. I don't know if he ever got the feeling back in his legs or if he was able to, but he's paralyzed from the waist down. And as he's being escorted off the field, this happened during a game, as he's being escorted off the field, he gives everybody a thumbs up. And the Lions use that thumbs up thing to propel them to a division title and a playoff run. You know? Huh. Yeah. This was the 1991 season, I believe. Um, so, but Mike Utley was kind of like, they, they rallied behind Mike Utley. This was a thing that kind of brought them all together. Every little breakdown, like I remember watching um, Inside the NFL on the weekends, every little breakdown, there were several thumbs up whenever the team would get together to break right before the start of the game. We're doing this for Mike, thumbs up for Mike, and blah, blah, blah. You know, will they, you know, kind of like how they, you know, rallied around Ryan Tannehill last year. You know, will that just be a 2019 thing? And then 2020, we come back down to reality and everyone's loading up a 10-man box to stop Derrick Henry and daring Ryan Tannehill to beat you, and it doesn't work. You know, that kind of thing. Same thing with the Vikings. You mentioned before about the, the, the division in, in general. Looking at all the people the Vikings let go, all of the subtractions, I've been fighting the feeling that they were going to be bad this year. I've been fighting that feeling because I couldn't tell if they were rebuilding or reloading with some of the moves that they've made. Uh, you know, letting go of Stephon Diggs, and then they had f like 15 draft p picks. So were they rebuilding or reloading? Were they both? Were they reloading and rebuilding? You know, that kind of thing. It just, I don't know what to expect from the Vikings because their offseason left me with a lot of questions. And then we go with the Packers. Will they be, 
will they be the 2019 Packers again, or will they be the 2018 Bears where they had this really great year, went to the division, went to the playoffs, you know, did some things, and then the following year they come crashing back down to the reality of the 500 team that they were all along uh, kind of thing. And then with the Texans, how will they survive without DeAndre Hopkins? Can Deshaun Watson really do it uh, by himself? The Jaguars, we already know. The Jaguars are the other side of the Saints coin. I know what to expect from the Saints. I think I know what to expect from the Jaguars. And then, you know, we finish out with the Packers again. It's, it's, it could be very easy to talk yourself into 12-4, and 11-5. And, and then on the other side, you could easily talk yourself into 6-10, and 7-9. and nine. Yeah, I, I, I find myself having that same dilemma, and I end up kind of hovering around the middle of those two, right? I mean, it, you could easily see them – you know, start out hot, like you said, and beat both the Falcons and the Colts, or you could see them kind of struggle with both of them. And you could see the Titans and the Vikings being for real right in that middle stretch of the season, and maybe the Bears lose a few in a row going into the bye week and coming out with a tough one in Green Bay. Or maybe all of those teams step back and Titans, Vikings, Packers, Lions, four games of teams that aren't as good as we think they could be makes it an easy stretch for the Bears. I mean, it's this is as unpredictable of a season for them as possible. Like, usually I feel like we go through... You know, and, and it's pretty easy to say, you know, anything can happen in any game. But they're probably going to win this one, win this one, probably going to lose that one, probably going to lose that one. And there's maybe three, four, five games on the schedule where you're like, this is legitimately a toss-up, and I'm not sure who, where I'm going to go with this. But uh, on this schedule, I mean, I think for me, Falcons is a toss-up, Colts is a toss-up, Rams is a toss-up, Titans is a toss-up, and then even to some extent, the Lions and the Vikings and and some of the Packers are going to be toss-ups for me too. That like, man, I I I find myself coming back to eight and eight where you know you, you split some of those toss-ups pretty well down the middle you win half of them you lose half of them and i i come up with uh, around eight wins maybe nine maybe seven but uh, it's, i struggle to see too many fewer than that i think the bears will have enough talent to be at least as good as they were last year but i struggle to see too many more than nine wins unless Foles gets in there particularly early and starts playing well or somehow mitch trubisky is a brand new quarterback those things both seem pretty unlikely to me but i think the narrative is pretty well set here for them to survive with Trubisky and then pick things up a little bit with Foles as the schedule hits the the divisional round. And depending on how good those divisional teams are, that'll be the difference between double-digit wins or single-digit wins. And there you have it. So uh, like we well, like we finished our conversation in January, not having any more answers or having just as many questions as answers and, and so on and so forth, we go into the season six days from today, and it could be a glorious 2018 repeat or it could be worse than it was last year in 2019. We, we really don't know. And there's a lot of reasons for that because of all the new pieces, the new coaches, uh, you know, theoretically somewhat of a new offensive philosophy or at least a tweak to what we were doing before. Uh, you know, Robert Quinn, will he help the defense? How will we look year two under Chuck Pagano? Uh, you know, the, 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 the depth, will it be there if we need them or do we absolutely need to stay healthy uh, this season? All of that coming together, you know, you put that in a bowl, you mix it up, and yeah, 9-7, and 8-8, eight and eight, that's where I feel good about this. You know, that's where I'm like, yeah, 6-10, and 10, like, ugh, I really, I don't know about 6-10, and 10, man. I really think, and then in 12-4 and four is like, well, of course I would love that, but I, I don't, I could see twelve and four, but you know, I could see it just like let's just sit in the middle. Let's nine and seven, eight and eight with a seventh playoff team on the board. I think that could get us in. So, 
you all you got to do is be in to make a run in it. The Titans proved that to us last year. So as long as you're in, you got a shot, and then it's up to you to take care of the rest. Yeah, and I I feel pretty good about Nick Foles' playoff experience. If you do get to that point, that there's some reason for optimism, even if the regular season was shaky. Agreed. So there you have it, Lauren. We're only six hours into the conversation, and uh, I think we're we're finally done. Um, <laughs> so. As always, man, I appreciate you uh, taking the time, especially uh, today on, uh, you know, Labor Day and pulling you away from your holiday and whatnot. So I appreciate you taking out the time. Where can we uh, find you and what you do online? Yeah, of course. Uh, You can follow me on Twitter at Cox Sports One. I always say it's like Fox Sports One, but with a C. And you can hear me five days a week on the Locked On Bears podcast. Larry, always happy to come on and talk Bears with you. I could, we could do this all afternoon into the evening if we wanted to. But I know probably, yeah. I've, we we I've, could I've actually got... they could put us in the studio, Lauren, and just flip the light on and give us a commercial break from time to time. We could kill four hours easy. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, I've I've, I've got some uh, some burgers and brats calling my name at some oh, point me too me i too, wish right? we were, yeah the same city we could uh we could do them together on the oh, same for sure that would be city. awesome so you know? something post-covid will make it happen absolutely that is definitely i definitely want to make that that happen for sure so but lauren as always uh thanks for coming on man and uh we'll talk to you again soon definitely anytime larry Are you guys still with me? Are you still hanging in there? If you are, God bless you. And then my other question would be, how long did it take you to get here? Have you had to, to, to squeeze it into a few listens? Are you on the road and you've been sticking with us from the beginning? Have you been paying attention the whole time? Because there's a quiz. I'm kidding. There's no quiz. God bless you if you've made it uh, this far. Uh, thank you guys uh, for listening. And I want to thank Lauren Cox for being my partner in crime in these long-winded Bears Talks uh, that we have a couple times a year uh, throughout the uh, season. Um, you know, it's it's interesting. Uh, after all that talking with Lauren over the season uh, in this, this COVID world that we're living in, we're six days away from Bears-Lions actually happening. It still doesn't quite feel that way, and it does at the same time. The calendar says we're only six days away, but it doesn't feel like we're that close. It feels like we still have a lot more to do before we get to the actual season itself but it'll be here before we know it and um, we'll be talking about knee-jerk reactions and all that kind of stuff by the time uh, in no time I should say so um, yeah thinking of doing something different with the show this year and uh, I've I've been thinking about this and what I think I'm going to do is I'm going to hit you guys four times a week this year I think that's how I'm going to do it and I'm, 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 what I'm thinking of, that's what I'm thinking. It might be harder to do with like Thursday night games and stuff. Like We only have one. Uh, it might be a little bit more, might have to get a little, a little bit craftier with it when the, because we play a couple of Monday night games uh, this year. But um, overall, here's the plan. Sunday night or slash Monday morning, I'm going to drop the bear up and bear down that's going to be the first thing that comes out maybe a short 10 15 minute uh, episode or if we, if i have some kind of tirade in mind who knows how long it could go but one episode will be bear ups and bear downs 
episode number two which would drop on tuesday uh would be the review episode where you get your knee-jerk reactions and i'm talking about the game itself uh and and all that kind of stuff wednesday would be the break and then thursday would be the interview we're bringing in our guest to talk about uh, our upcoming opponent and then friday would be my preview uh, of the episode so it's like the monday and friday episodes would probably be the shorter ones and then the tuesday and thursday episodes would be the longer ones where i'm doing the reviews breaking down the game itself and so on and then our interview on uh that would drop on thursdays uh and stuff so that's kind of what i'm thinking of doing once we get a game in the books with the lions uh on sunday this week it'll just be jeremy reisman coming in on um let's see when am i talking to jeremy i'm talking to him on talking to him wednesday night so that will drop on thursday to preview the 2020 lions week one uh for the bears and lions uh the coming sunday and then next week is when i think we'll try to uh see how far we get with this plan we may end up just going back to the old-fashioned two episodes a week and uh getting all that stuff to drop and uh and whatnot so this is something I, I was thinking about trying to do last year and, and, and all that kind of stuff. We'll see if we can make it work. Um, and uh, I, I like the idea of kind of dropping these, you know, little bits uh, instead of all the big shows, maybe give you a, a few shorter ones uh, instead of all the, the longer ones. So I don't know. Let me know how you guys feel about that. Uh, we'll do week one as an experiment and kind of go from uh, kind of go from there, you know. So uh, but that's kind of what I've been thinking the the knee jerk uh, the um the bear up bear down is more of a knee jerk reaction thing you know and, and i, I want to kind of get that out there immediately then we'll have the knee jerk reactions themselves uh as part of the review episode then we'll have our interview where we bring in our our guests to preview our upcoming opponent and then friday we'll drop with my actual preview itself and what i'm thinking looking forward to so on and so forth into uh the upcoming game so might have to get creative because we play tampa bay on a thursday so might have to abbreviate all that and uh and, and whatnot but uh we'll see we'll see how that all goes but uh that's kind of the idea that i'm having we'll see how long i stick with that um and how much how it works and so on but that's the idea uh that i'm having so but anyway we got we're still a little bit of ways away from that um we're gonna have jeremy reisman from pride of detroit an SB Nation on Thursday to preview Bears-Lions week one and the 2020 Lions themselves. I'm looking forward to that. Jeremy's one of my favorite guests, so uh, we'll have some fun with that and get ready for the season. It's the last step, the last hurdle to clear between now and next Sunday and getting to week one and kicking off this very interesting 2020 season. So, uh, again, thanks so much uh, for listening. You guys are soldiers if you're still listening now and uh thank you for for welcoming me back and uh for still listening to the show and uh i really really uh appreciate it so anyway guys we'll be back on thursday with jeremy reisman to preview the lions in week one and until then my name is larry d and this has been the bears talk underground